tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Morning, welcome along to Tip Today. 1800 938 007, our free phone number. It won't cost you to make a call. Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on the show, shoplifting is being described as the new pandemic. A date for the long awaited N24 could finally be in sight. A mother and child set to be evicted on Christmas week. We'll have some more on the Santa visits and uh, the pressures on parents. The prospect of deer culling, is it on the way and what form will it uh, take? We'll have farming news with uh, Katrina from the Journal. And in our health slot, Muriel will be talking to us today about uh, good food choices for Christmas. We'll also have our gardening uh, because we missed out on it uh, yesterday. So I'm going to have it rather early uh, today, in fact, in this hour. So if you have a gardening query, will you log it with us, please? You can text and WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tip today at tipfm.com. Let's have a look at the front pages. The Examiner leading with a story that we're going to discuss in just a little while. In fact, retailers have uh, demanded tougher measures to combat underage thieves as the industry reels from a surge in robberies and violence towards staff spiralling out of control as well. Also on the Examiner today, um, they're telling us that last week saw the highest level of respiratory uh, virus cases, that's RSV, um, ever recorded, uh, surpassing even the weekly peak of last winter's uh, severe outbreak. That's according to some new data there. The uh, Independent, and their lead story, a leading think tank, has defended the government's 14 billion euro budget giveaway for next year, saying the country clearly needs significant investment. The uh, ERSI, uh, backed by Finance Minister Michael McGrath, Uh, against um, accusations of overspending by his own budget watchdog, in fact. Um, And the the experts said the economy will be able to absorb the uh, budget without fueling inflation, largely because of uh, uh, high growth. Uh, Also on the front of the industry today is a picture of Aoife O'Donovan, who was just 17 when she claimed she was misdiagnosed with cancer and endured a highly toxic chemotherapy treatment and she settled her case in the High Court yesterday for 1.9 million. The Irish Daily Mail and their main story ministers have been told to bring forward plans to start spending a war chest of almost 2.5 billion on capital projects as the government faces in to three major polls. The Irish Times and you know it's dominated by a very sad picture indeed it's an extremely long queue and it's a queue of people for tickets for the Christmas food parcels at the Capuchin uh, Day Centre in Dublin. But, I mean, it's a huge queue. And, I mean, if you didn't know better, you'd say, is that a queue for a concert or something like that? But uh, seemingly the queues are getting longer every uh, week. Also on the front of the Irish Times, uh, they're talking about COP28 and a landmark agreement reached at COP28 calling on countries to accelerate a global shift away from fossil fuels. Uh, This decade has been broadly welcomed throughout the world. And also right across the newspapers today, the story of 
Irishman Bernard Looney, who was dismissed by BP yesterday in a move that will result in him having to forfeit as much as uh, 37.6 million euro in pay after committing serious misconduct related to failing to disclose past relationships with his colleagues. Yep, 37.6 million euro he will miss out on. So that's a look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. Do you want to make a comment? On any of that, uh, again, 0833113311. Now, Aracta's uh, committee has heard of a shoplifting explosion with the retailers noting a significant rise in underage theft. Members of the Enterprise Committee has uh, also been told that there's a new level of aggression being directed at staff. Vincent Jennings, the chief executive of the Convenience Stores and News Agency uh, Association, described shoplifting as a pandemic. Joining me now is a great friend of the show, Jimmy O'Sullivan from O'Sullivan's Pharmacy in Feathered. Good morning to you, Jimmy. Good morning, friend. Uh, good to talk to you today and thanks for coming on you with too. me. Um, do, you, do you agree with uh, that summation there that this is a pandemic and it's on the rise, Jimmy? I think so. Um, yeah, it's gone very serious, friend. And um, I suppose we're in Feathered, we're in a smaller community, so maybe it's slower to filter down, but we're seeing Maybe not the huge aggression, but we're definitely seeing a huge increase in petty and bigger shoplifting events. In fact, we had a, a major incident there last week. Um, an organised gang um, kind of did Tipperary, the county, uh, hit Tipperary town, Cashel, Clamella and Feathered. And literally two adults and two young children. And they literally wiped out a lot of areas and places. And they came into us, they filled bags. The children were filling the bags, like one child maybe of five and the other child of seven, and the mother holding them and the, the other parent walking around distracting. But um, we, we, <laughs> my wife, Fanula, um, I, was, I wasn't even, I, was, I had my head down doing a prescription or something, mm. and she noticed something going on, and she ran down after them and got stuff back. So we were very lucky. Now they got some, some stuff, all right, they had a third bag. But we got two bags back. But um, the guards came; they were fantastic. Uh, we had to, like recently, we had to update our CCTV, um, like to major cost, and um, it was razor sharp. The images they got, and uh, they, the, the images they got, then are being put forward for prosecution. So they knew who they were. They were uh, Romanian from Austria or somewhere, but they just they decide on the day where they're going to go, and they're literally just wipe out um, towns around the county then, you know. So this is, that's just one example of, of like, the, the major stuff that's going on, um, which is which is it's dreadful. And, I mean, the, there's very little deterrence there for them, you know, because they just get a slap on the wrist and off they go. And the, the retailers are the ones that are suffering then. Well, that must be very, very disappointing for for retailers, and that's the sense that we're getting today. And I'm delighted you're on with me, Jimmy, because we spoke to a lot of business people around the county over the last day or so, and they, you, while they're all admitting this is a huge issue, many of them don't want to talk to us about it. Yeah, because I suppose, like, if you say, like, uh, even, like, I was discussing with my son, Jack, who works here with me, I said, like, I can't say too much to Fran this morning, because you're kind of you're kind of opening up what your situation is, you know, okay. So, like, maybe, for instance, if a business didn't have CCTV, like, they can't really say over the air, we don't have CCTV, right. because then yes. that's kind of, you know, they say, oh, 
these people that are out there that are interested in chocolate, you say, okay, that's where we're going. You know, so, I mean, you've got, yeah, and you can't make the place into a barracks either, so that, you know, you know, you could literally put cages up on everything, but like that is not uh, the way we want to. Yes. to do business either, you know. And so you, you, can't look, you can't look suspiciously on people who are coming in uh, just to, to, to do business with you either, you know. Absolutely, you, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and often the people that you don't suspect that, you know, maybe the people that you think are going to do it are not the ones that, the ones that are more smartly dressed, maybe, are than the ones that are doing it. But, like, it is people really need to consider, like, you know, it's people's livelihood. It's not just me, it's all my team, all my mm. staff here, I mean, and even there, like, we're getting worried insofar as, like, in Feathered, we're pretty isolated here. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, if there was some sort of an organised gang that came, like, with violence, like, where where do we stand? I mean, we have to protect all, all, all everyone here, you know? So it is it is a huge concern uh, for all businesses around, around uh, the country. And, Jimmy, was it always an element of business? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, it, it, it is always, you know, uh, I mean, people were, you know, maybe looking for something and they, whatever they do. But now it's just random. You know, they just go in and whatever they see, first thing they see, that's it, come into the bag, you know. So it's not even a case of, I want that. It's just, I, I'm out there to get whatever I can get. Yeah, and of course, where are they? Yeah, the other question, sorry, Frank. No, I beg the other question, They need to get rid of that as well. Yes. Like, so obviously there's a market there for somebody who's, taking that product from them and selling it on. So, I mean, they haven't got a house full of whatever stuff at home. So, um, like, there's, there's probably another side to, the, to that. Well, the, 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 there, there is a market somewhere for for this. No, because I was going to ask you, were they targeting something in particular, particular items? But it's it's not the case, no, is it? No, no, no. It's like the riots in in, um, in Dublin there a couple of weeks ago. I mean, they just, whatever they felt they could get into. No, I think they got into a shoe shop. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. a, a lot of them hopping around in Dublin with one left shoe at the moment. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, there's only one shoe out on, the, on, on that rack, so you don't get two of them, you know. So, um, yeah. I don't know what to what And, and when your wife confronted uh, the people involved, what what was yeah. their attitude to her? Not to bother on them, just give it straight back, but they had a, there was a, one of the children was running away with a bag, with another bag that she didn't see. So, like, they felt, okay, two, you know, one out of three isn't bad, you know. But, like, she shouldn't have done it because, I mean, there could have been, she could have, like, it worked out okay. I mean, it could have been a lot more serious if they got violent or anything like that. Like, But she didn't think. But, I mean, you know, we have to kind of sit down and have a chat with everyone working and just say, look, this is what we need to do in these situations. But, I mean, again, you can't discuss that over the air as to what you would do, you know, because then people say, oh, they're not going to bring calling the guards if they're not going to do that. But yeah, this time it, it did. It, it, you know, the guards were very, very helpful, and they were they were actually glad because they were able to track them around. And I think that the case is going to happen against that particular gang. But um, right, and and it's, well, and it's definitely a right. Romanian gang, uh, Jimmy. You were told. No, that, I, I hate I hated to say that yes. because I don't wish you know. That, I, I mean, we have plenty of friends that are Romanian, but uh, the, you know, this yeah. particular one. Uh, is you know it'd be like if we were in America said it was an Irish gang and then of course yeah. you every every but like if this particular one was the guards were able to tell us that right. um, and um, I know they they um, there's another thirty women gang Romanian I heard in, up in Dublin there last week and they they had to close, there was a deals shop 
there in, in, in central Dublin and they, it's closed because they just they were in there every second day, purchased them in one go, cleaning it out with bags and whatever, and they, there's nothing they could do. So, um, they, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, well, another issue, uh, Fran, I know yeah. I'm jumping ahead now a little bit. No but, problem. Um, I just want to make people aware, particularly older people, we've had three patients in in the last three days and they've just suspect calls from, uh, they've had a call and they're saying, this is your pharmacy. And they're starting to discuss, and would you like to talk about your medicine? And the two, the three people that came in said, did you ring us? And I said, no, we didn't. Uh, but they started talking about money then, that they owed them money. And so I just kind of want to warn people out there um, that if they get a call purporting to be their pharmacy, it's not, it's, you know, make sure you, number one, they didn't know the name of the pharmacy. So they weren't, um, number two, the patients were saying, we couldn't understand what they were saying. So they were obviously not mm. English speaking, what English wasn't their first language. But also, I said, did you ask them what pharmacy it was? And they said, no, 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 we just assumed it was he, but I didn't recognise anyone's voice. So if you do get a call, just make sure if you do know some name in the pharmacy, just ask them what pharmacy they're ringing from before you start, just to make sure that there's no fraud or any kind of coax calls or scam calls. And I think that is what they were, you know. So yet another scam, Jimmy. Yeah. yeah, particularly this time of the year. Yeah, um, I mean, we're we're asking, maybe asking people, patients, you know, maybe just to order their medicines a little bit ahead, just because of the Christmas time. And people are under a little bit; they're not really, you know, there may be we may be ringing people back and saying, "Oh, your medicine is ready." Whenever. So there may be a few things like that where yes. people are not really concentrating. So just another poor little another thing for <laughs> unfortunately the elderly yes. people to be worried about. Yeah, but look, I think if you don't recognise anyone voice on the pharmacy know yourself and the two the three patients that we had kind of one of them didn't really but the other two said it didn't sound right it didn't right. sound like you but then i didn't know she said once i heard pharmacy i just said it must have been us that was calling you know and then they started to discuss things and as we were getting into the conversation then they said no, no, no this isn't right they're asking the questions they were asking weren't really Yeah, because we were speaking to the Gardaí yesterday and again the whole thing of scams came up and how sophisticated it has become. But this is a new one on me now. That's the new one on us too, yeah. And I just said I'd bring it to your attention this morning because we were quite concerned yesterday about it. Now, nothing happened, but again, you know, these people will try 20 people and if they get one person that might hand over their credit card details, then of course. Uh, that, is the, that is the trouble. You of know? course. And, and, and people are... Uh, people, People like you know they feel their pharmacies they can trust and when they hear pharmacies they I just know. assume yeah. it is their own pharmacy. Of but, course, um, yeah. just, just be be aware. Uh, and of before that, I you know. leave the shoplifting, uh, Jimmy, uh, were other <laughs> you you needn't tell me the names of the businesses because they mightn't want to put out there. But were other businesses targeted in Feathered as well? Yeah, and not in Feathered. No, no. Um, I think we we were the first, and then by the time. Fanula went out and approached them. They took off at high speed then. So I think um, that was uh, probably something that was at least positive, I suppose, that came out of it, you know. Could I ask you about that? The guards were telling us Clan Mel, Tipperary, John Patchett had already been done earlier. My God. Can I ask you about that headline on the examiner today, Jimmy? Highest ever incidence of winter virus uh, recorded. Are, Are you seeing that, Jimmy? 
Yeah, yeah, particularly young children, a lot, yeah. of, lot, of, lot of coughing, a lot of RS, you know, the, the respiratory virus, uh, wheezing. Um, yeah, like we are still, you, we are still recommending people can still get their child vaccinated with the nasal yes. vaccine, so it's just a little uh, squirt of vaccine up the nose. So that's still available. We, we're doing a walk-in clinic any time, any day. This week, maybe next week. Now we we mightn't be because it's just a busy week. But um, we would, you know, a phone call would tell that out. But yeah, we're seeing a lot and lots of lots of children that are quite sick, and it's kind of all the family. So one yes. like one even this morning, now there was one lady, and she said, you know, the, the adults had it last week, and she said the kids are just sick at the moment with this virus thing. But it's a virus, so it's paracetamol. It's you know, a bit yes. of ache, and maybe just. Uh, it's, it's very contagious, is my understanding, Jimmy. Yeah. Highly contagious, yeah. yeah. Highly contagious, though. I mean, they just need to be, I hate to say the word, isolated. We're, we're kind of hopefully gone out of that phase now. But, yeah, just to, to be mindful of, of where you're going and what you're doing. Uh, right. with the kids, you know. But I would say, you know, you're not going to be doing too much anyway because they're quite safe with it. All right, Jimmy, on a busy day for you. Thank you for making time for us today, Jimmy. Thank you. Anytime, Thank you. and enjoy your Christmas. Thank you, and a happy Christmas to you and your family and your staff, Jimmy. Thank you, and good morning to you. Jimmy O'Sullivan there from O'Sullivan's Pharmacy in Feathered. 1800 938 The text and WhatsApp is 83 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Well, the preferred route for an upgrade of the N24 between Care and Waterford will finally be announced next month. Now, it's been uh, deferred on a number of occasions, as you know, since it originally uh, was due to be unveiled last May. Well, Councillor Siobhan Ambrose sought an update at this uh, week's meeting of Tipperary County Council, and she joins me now. Siobhan, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Uh, Siobhan, what is the latest on this? Because people are very confused and, you know, they're waiting for this for years now at this point. Absolutely. Well, I, I just, if you don't mind, just for the purpose of the listeners, I just kind of give kind of the background. To Please, you, yes. To kind of make it easier. So just for, for those who, who may not be aware, the, the N24 that we're talking about is basically the section of road from that links Waterford City to Limerick City, mm. basically. And the department decided to break the project into two parts. So you have one section, which is the Limerick Junction to Care section, and then you have a second section, which is the Care to Waterford section, and that's the section we say Clonmel is on, for, just to make it easier for, yes. for listeners. So basically the N24, that complete section of road from you know linking Waterford and Limerick, that is Tipperary County Council's number one capital plan. So it has been recognised as needed, you know, economic, tourism, everything. But most importantly, it is also needed to obviously get rid of the, the huge congestion that we currently see, obviously, in uh, Tipperary Town, in Carrick and Shore, the Bypass Clonmel, the villages that intersect that and the hinterlands. So that's kind of the backdrop to it. And in terms of the section I'll be referring to, it's, it's the section that links, if you like, from goes from Care to, to, if you like, Waterford. And there's five stages in you know this this process and we are on stage two so the first in any of this kind of the n24 project is 
to identify that there is a need. So that, that, that phase is done. We're currently on the second one, which is looking at the options. So it, it's selection. So as you alluded to there in, in your opening state, that for us, we have been most anxiously waiting for a decision on this route. So this process for us started in 2021. Um, we were told that obviously in, in May that there was going to be an announcement as regards the preferred route. And then these, these times have changed. It's been September. Um, it went to November. Then, it, then we were told it wouldn't be until January. But uh, we have now, you know, a, a finite decision with respect to this time frame, and it's now going to be January. So what we're looking at is roughly around circa the week of the 15th of January that those that will be impacted by the interdict forward, those that will be on this preferred route. So what, who I'm talking about is you could have, obviously, there'll be people who are farming, um, there'll be people who have small land holdings that aren't farmers. Uh, there'll be households. Um, there'll be businesses. So anybody impacted directly will receive a letter circa around the 15th of January informing them, you know, that you're, you are on the preferred route. And then on the uh, 19th of January, you know, councillors and Oireachtas members will be informed because obviously out of courtesy, the first people to be informed will be those impacted. And then the following week, there will be again, like in previous, like previously, there will be four meetings, public meetings organised. Uh, one in Clonmel, uh, one in Carrick and Shore, uh, one in Mooncoin, and one in Care. And these public meetings will be open to, as as it alludes to the public, anyone can go into those to mm. see what route has been chosen. Uh, but obviously, for those that receive the letter to say they're impacted, that letter will contain details of, you know, who to contact to start mm. the engagement process. So Of compulsory purchase, I guess. Of compulsory purchase. Now, look, I suppose, you know, it, it is, as, as you said, compulsory purchase. The, the, the N24 is a capital project. Mm. It is a project that is deemed to be of national significance. So it's one of the very few times where... Um, you know, obviously the CPO process, which is compulsory purchase order process, you know, obviously it, it can be used. But ultimately, what we what is hoped is that people, once they get their letter, you know, will start engaging. Uh, you mm. know, they'll engage. But of course, for many years, as you know better than I do, Siobhan, uh, yeah. people along that corridor or what they thought might be the corridor, they've been in limbo in terms of their land and their households. Absolutely. And I think if you ask anyone in the council, actually speaking to, to some senior engineers yesterday, and they were just saying, like, nobody's been as vocal on this as I have. Because, you know, I have lots of young people on to me who want mm. to build on family land. Um, they can't do this until the, the route is decided. Um, you have farmers who don't know, you know, what the yeah. future is going to yeah. hold for them. You have next generation uh, farmers who, you know, young family members who are wondering, will they do ag science? And the parents are saying to me, Siobhan, what, what do I say to them? Because mm. I don't know what kind of a land bank we'll have. Um, you also have householders, like people forget about that, like people's houses also, as we see around the country yeah. with motorways, you know, can be knocked. And then you also have businesses. I mean, somebody could have, a, you know, commercial unit or that entity on their, um, on this particular route as well. So, all of those, that's why, you know, all the time we need to get 
the, the preferred route announced because people need clarity. And that's what I'm getting really, Fran, from people is, look, if we only knew where we stood, mm, because mm. it's the not knowing. Of you course know, it is, it's yes. Exactly, and it's just kind of, it's all the time in the background. And but that's what these people are saying to me, like, when you know, is, is there any word, Siobhan, because you know, they really want to get clarity in terms of making making plans yeah, for the and, future. And you're right about the confusion as well where the Limerick care route is concerned, or the, the Limerick Junction to care yeah. route is concerned, because that's treated almost differently. And my understanding is that may be done first, Siobhan. Is that your understanding? Yeah, well, you see, as I said, the department decided to break both of these projects into, you know, this N24 project into two parts. Mm. So the the Limerick Junction to Care, they are a phase ahead. Like in effect, there's there's five phases to the to the entire N24 project. So mm. the first would be identify: do we need the motorway? Yes. Okay. So phase one is done. Phase two is looking at the route selection. Now that's where, if you like, the the um, care to Waterford. That's where we're on. So it's looking at the route selection, and that's what we're waiting for in January to decide that. Now, obviously, the Limerick Junction to Care, they're a phase ahead of us mm. because they already have chosen their selection and they're now looking at stage three. They're on stage three, which is design and environmental. So that's really, you know, mm. looking finitely at what exactly, how much um, land bank is, is needed, what is the totality of the land required. And then... After that, it'll go to on board Planola. So that's just on board Planola to say, yes, all the actions you've taken are, you know, to, to the rule book, according to the rule book, if you like. And then you go to procurement, which is tender stage, and then finally construction. So the Limerick Junction to Care, they are on phase three, if you like. Mm. We are on phase two. So the most important thing is, once we have this decision as well, Fran, in January, is that it will be funded and in June, as you know, this is um, the department of, you know, Eamon Ryan, Minister Eamon mm. Ryan's department. But the Minister of State has been a former Minister, Jack Chambers. And in June, I brought Jack down and he had a very good presentation from council officials and from uh, John Nolan, the, the senior roads engineer, who obviously presented, you know, the entirety of the N24 because the project, you know, the project has to go ahead in its entirety, yes. you know. So um, we presented that and just in terms of funding required for 2024. So for 2024, um, for example, the Limerick Junction to care side, that need requires 2.5 million to, to continue to, you know, with the phase three stage. Um, he, at the other side of the project, which would be the uh, care to Waterford side, um, we require 3 million uh, to, to, to allow the project to move along for us for 2024. So it's nominal enough funding um, and we're, we're waiting for a decision and the capital allocation won't be announced until the new year. So, yeah. you know, I've been pressing very much. And, and can I ask you, Siobhan, I mean, yeah. what, I'm, what I'm hearing from my friends around the Limerick Junction to care one is that, uh, and you said yourself, they're a phase ahead of the other. No. Um, uh, they're talking about 10 years down the line. So if we're a phase behind with uh, the care to Waterford, how long are we talking about here, Siobhan? Well, I, I don't know. Like, I'm always slow. It's like kind of people say, you know, how long or how much? Because as we know, things change very, very quickly. So um, I don't I, I don't know, um, I, you know, how long exactly. There's mm. no time frame on it. Because as you said, like, it's different things can alter things. Yes. And 
obviously, if every single stage um, you are dependent as well on funding because you can't move to the next stage until you have clarity with respect to, you know, you have funding to move mm -hmm. forward with that stage. So in terms of kind of putting a time frame on, we're talking about X amount of years. Um, I, I wouldn't look at it like that. The way I look at it is it's the here and now. So here we are, for example, the, the if you like, the, the care to Waterford section. We ha we're now looking at, we're hoping to get in budget 2024, mm. we need to progress this. We need 3 million. On the other side, from Limerick Junction to care, they need 2.5. And that's for yeah. me where the focus should be on. And, and Siobhan, because you've been across this for so many years, and as you say, you've been yeah. trying to field off questions on it as well, were you a bit taken aback at what's happening in Adair that it seems like the Ryder Cup is driving the decision to push that big time down there? You know, Fran, um, that's, you know, that's their good fortune. Um, but the way I kind of focus on is, like, I'm totally focused on what's happening here in Tipperary. Mm. And, you know... Fair play to them, um, and you know if it is the Ryder Cup or any other circumstances, fair play to them. Um, but my focus is I don't tend to get hung up on, uh, you know, really hung up on, on what's happening in other areas. Like my focus is I've also been on Zoom with Minister Eamon Ryan along with other council representatives and, and um, officers as well. So I don't tend to get hung up on mm. what's happening in another area because the way I feel is. Like we need basically five points. The end game here is we need 5.5 million mm. for 2024. And that's my goal and that's yes, my focus. But, but that has it nothing means, to do with shovels in the ground. I mean, we're, we're still talking uh, yeah, about planning no, no. here, aren't we? Yes. Well, well, you see, we are. But yeah. at the end of the day, you know, even in terms of allocation, like we, we need for 2024... What you do is you get it as per the stage. Yes. So, so all we need now for 2024 is we need 5.5 million because that's what we get for 2024. So that's the way it works. So what do you need to do the next stage? So for us, it's to, uh, 3 million on this side. On the Limerick to Care side, they need um, 2.5 million. So that's where we're at at the moment. Okay. And that's where we need to make sure that this funding is delivered. Yeah, and very good. And fair play to you for giving us some clarity in this because there is a yeah. lot of confusion and mystery surrounding it as well. You you do have a problem, however, with the way this will be presented to councillors because you made this point at uh, the meeting, Siobhan, uh, the, the notion of a Zoom meeting uh, because, like, how will maps be viewed and all of that? Yeah, well, look, you know, that's, that's ongoing. You know, obviously I raised this the meeting because the announcement was made that, uh, as I said, circa around the 15th, Obviously, all of those impacted by the preferred route will receive letters um, and they'll obviously be given contact details of the those you know who are as part of the team, the N24 team, uh, who they can start the engagement process with. Now, I want to say as well, anybody who is, um, you know, whose land banks, houses, mm. uh, businesses are on the preferred route, at any stage, they will be able to ring the committee any day they want if they want to ring every single day to talk to somebody they can that will be obviously there'll be open engagement for those to come and meet with the team but from the council's perspective we'll obviously hear then as i said on the 19th now at the director of roads marcus o'connor said that will be a zoom meeting and my point is as we all know i mean zoom has become part of everybody's life mm -hmm. since COVID. um but it's very difficult when you're talking about a capital project like this Yes. And you're talking about we will see the preferred route on Zoom because whatever about seeing people on Zoom, it's very difficult to look at something so finite as a map. Yes. And that was my point saying I'm not really, I'm not happy about it 
I wanted an in-person meeting. Now, I'm still obviously pursuing that, so I, I'm not saying the door is totally closed mm. on it, because I'd much prefer to go in to have uh, some of the team present and say, now look, you know, you know, to talk through to, mm. with them as regards the preferred route. Be- because because the, detail the, is, the detail is so important of this. I mean, you're going to be questioned about the exactly. detail of this, aren't you? Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think as well, Fran, you know, people have to be mindful of the fact that you are talking about, this is very, very emotive. Mm. Like, I've been through so many people. Like, you're talking about people who um, maybe, you know, built their own homes. Maybe their homes or farms have been, you know, in their family for generations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, I do have to say, the first announcement will be you're on the preferred route. But the the route itself, obviously, it'll be whittled down under phase three. Mm. So, you know, obviously, it's at that point people will know yes. how and, much and exactly Siobhan, what the five, land bank is owed. But just, I, I just want to make the point, yeah. I agree with you, that, like, it is very emotive as well because, as you've said, you know, this is a national project. So we, we are asking people to engage, but you are talking about you know, some of some of people's, yes. you know, your farm, your house, your business, whatever land bank you may have. You may not be farming, but you may have a small part of land that may have to go. So there is a huge emotiveness Yeah, because there's, well, two, there's the two, two texts into me already here, and it's people who yeah. imagine that they are on that corridor somewhere. And again, mm-hmm. they, ha- they have great concerns. Uh, just before I let you go, um, uh, Siobhan, can you appeal this, by the way, if, if the, the notion of a compulsory purchase? Can you appeal that? Well, what you can do is, like, the, the route will obviously be announced, but obviously if there are circumstances that have been overlooked, like if there's something, um, it, it would obviously have to be very, very big. Uh, a route can be kind of altered, you know, minor alterations. Um, but obviously what I would say is anybody who gets the letter, um, you know, all the details will be on the letter, and please start the engagement process. Because, as I said, you know, it is a national, it is a capital project, it's of national importance. Um, ultimately, Fran, you know, as you've alluded to, the CPO process, it is a CPO process in mm. effect, because yes. if, if it is required, it will be taken. That's the end goal. It's not like uh, any other kind of most projects that you'd be involved with. This is totally different. When right. it comes to a motorway, something of national importance. But I would say... The biggest thing as regards January, Fran, is what I'm getting people is at least we'll know where we stand. Because as you know, you know, the N24 yeah. was muted over 20 years ago. Um, then we've had delays. Now, you will always have some delays with respect to announcement because there, there will be issues that may arise that may require the team to push out the date further. Mm. So there'll always be that little bit of change. But what I'm saying is, from what I'm hearing is people are just saying, oh, look, Siobhan, like, when is the date? Because, mm. look, at least if we had a date, and then if we, we knew we, we know whether where we, we were stand. included. Exactly, because obviously, you know, there are bigger decisions to be made. I must leave it there, Siobhan, but thanks so much for some of the clarity around that. Happy Christmas to you, by the way, Siobhan, and and, and to all of you. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time, Siobhan. Thank Thank you. That's Councillor Siobhan Ambrose speaking to us there. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie 
my old friend Paul McCarthy onto us and Paul would be coming at this discussion as a, an environmentalist and he says Siobhan Ambrose seems to be in favour of home, farm and business lives being turned on the heads in favour of a road so shaving 10 minutes off your commute time is worth all of the upheaval in Siobhan's book. In fairness Paul I think that if you had a motorway project from Limerick to Waterford it, it would shave far more than 10 minutes off your, your journey and also then there's the whole thing around road safety and God knows the amount of debts on on that particular route of the uh, N24 as it is now. Um, OK, let us move on and talk gardening and glad to be joined as usual by Ulton Nesbitt. Good morning to you, Ulton. Good morning, Fran. Uh, good to talk to you. Uh, we're going to talk today, to begin with at least, uh, planters for the festive season, Ulton? Yeah, this is a lovely time of year uh, uh, to plant up your containers. Um, around the patio or even at outside of the door and um, before your guests arrive but for, for, for Christmas time. Because I, I really, I, there's so much things that you can put into your containers that will give you great scent and great colour and, and even um, uh, make a kind of a formal entrance if you want to as well. So, I mean, like, there's lovely um, specimen plants that, that I particularly like. Things like the lovely tuyas or, or these tuya emeralds. They're almost like pillars that I decided of a doorway. They're quite nice, lovely uh, evergreen, um, very conical-shaped um, trees. And uh, then again, they're 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 lovely. But even if you dress them with fairy lights or something like that, at either side of the doorway, this makes it a, a lovely entrance going going into the house or into the the um, uh, uh, patio or that. So uh, what I what I particularly like as well are the lovely tax uh, cattles. and these are the yew the yew trees, and the yews are, are very dense and quite quite hardy plants as well, and they're a lovely dark green rich green colour on them. And they're lovely done in kind of topiary shapes. You know, you can have the lovely balls shaped to them or, or, or the pyramids or even the corkscrew uh, jobs as well, which are, which are particularly nice. And these, these are things that are quite simply put into large containers that look very good at either side of a doorway. Um, and, and the less fuss, the better. You know, it, it's very clean lines um, uh, with those. Other things then, again, which, 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 which are particularly nice at this time of the year, are the hamamillus mollusks. These are, are, are the, the witch hazels. And these have these are lovely, lovely trees. Um, fantastic autumn colour from them um, in the autumn time. The lovely big broad leaves of them turn lovely bright orangey red uh, colour on them. But at this time of the year, then in coming into Christmas, the tiny little flowers that come out of them, lovely like almost like these spied flowers that come out of them. But but the magnificent scent of them. There's one called um, uh, Intermedia Pallida, which has a fantastic scent off it, which is particularly good. And that's the witch hazes, the hamamillus mollusks. And there are other things would, would a lot of people would use is the, would be the camellias, the rhododendrons, or even a thing called Pierre's Forest Flame, which are lovely um, evergreen shrubs that um, have um, uh, brilliant uh, either flowers on them or or um, the foliage as well, which are particularly good. Another really good one that a lot of people don't know about is, uh, and it's quite a, a, um, uh, an easy shrub to grow, is the Eliagnus. And Eliagnus, the bingei, um, it has a lovely silver underleaf on it, um, but it has tiny little flowers at this time of the year that have the lovely scent of hyacinths off it, and particularly good. And again, you can shape them into whatever shape you want, like the, the pyramid shapes or the, the ball or, or even the lollipop stick as well. Uh, and, and they're quite, quite a formal type of um, mm. uh, plants to use in, in the garden. Other things then, just to have, I, I like a kind of a, almost a, a really a, a winter wonderland um, arrangement um, and, and things like um, the um, like a frost queen or ice silver look. Um, so a thing called a stelia. 
which is lovely, almost like sword-like um, uh, uh, foliage that comes out in it. Silver sword-like foliage um, from the centre of the container. And then um, interplant then with a thing called Cineraria. And Cineraria is a lovely silver feathery um, foliage as well. A thing called Santelina or Helichrysum. Um, and these are, are, are good silver silver leaves uh, on them as well. And a nice scent off it, actually, the Helichrysum or the Santelina. Almost um, uh, the curry plant uh, is the common name. But I think it has a smell of curry from it as well, which, which is quite nice. Um, other things then would be the lovely Senecio. Um, angel wings, mm. and that has lovely silver leaves on it as well. Big bold silver leaves on it, which is particularly nice. And then interplant that then with lovely citrus and white citrus, which are particularly nice. And that's that's a lovely arrangement to have at either side of the doorway um, uh, to give you great great uh, colour. Um, have have silver, um, uh, which is the, the uh, ivy trailing out over the side of conta- containers. And there's a lovely one called Hedrahelix glacier. And this is lovely silver silver foliage that comes out in it. And that's a lovely evergreen. And you don't have that for years, you know. And you can leave it in the pot and just interplant then with your cyclamens um, every year if you wanted to. Sounds lovely. A lovely way to, to greet family and friends arriving for Christmas as well to have that. It, it, it is. And, yeah. and then see there's lovely plants then to have inside in the hall, hall, hall door then as well. Things like the Poncetias, Damarillus, mm. or even Danturians. Or even 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 have a hanging uh, up in a hanging basket type thing is the, is the lovely Christmas cactus and they're they're fantastic um, let's say inside the house as well um, and they again you can get lovely um, uh, draw, uh, paper whites uh, tessitas uh, daffodils that have, have a lovely magnificent scent off them or even uh, what I, I like is a bowl of hyacinths on the hall table is particularly nice as well. Well, what what a good idea indeed. Um, lots of questions in for you. We'll only have time for a few. Could you recommend the bamboos? as one of our listeners that will grow tall and give good privacy to an area. Yeah, I, I like um, bamboos, um, but they are quite invasive, a lot of them. So really, um, go for ones that are more uh, clump-forming mm. varieties. There's one called um, uh, Arundinaria muriel, which is, is quite a good one. It's a nice clump-forming variety. Um, it will go up to about eight foot high. And, and again, it is quite dense, but I mean, it, do, it doesn't spread everywhere. You know, so, so it's a nice clump-forming variety. So uh, Arundinaria muriel is, is, is probably the best one to have either in containers or, a, a, let's say, as a divide um, mm. because it make, makes a good screen. Um, I always think they're, they're quite nice actually at the edge of the patio um, between the lawn and, and the patio itself because it makes a nice screen and, and, and even shelter shelter really bad for, for, from any, any wind or anything like that. But they are, they're, they're great for privacy because because bamboos are quite quite hardy really. They're, they're quite mm. vigorous and, and hardy that they can take um, uh, the, the, the winter. The winter. Um, people think bamboos are quite exotic looking or something yeah. but really they're, they're, yeah. they're quite a hardy, hardy plant. Right, very interesting. Um, my cyclamen uh, has gotten hit with a uh, frost. The flowers have died. Wondering, will it come back or is it gone completely? Um, as long as the corm is quite solid, um, it, it, it will come back again. This is a little bulb that it, that, that it forms. So as long as that's for, uh, quite firm uh, at the base of it, uh, it, it will come back. Again, remove any... Uh, 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 
flowers that have been affected by the frost. Just pinch them, but pinch the whole stem off, uh, right back to the base of the bulb, and, and, and pinch it out. Don't just take off the top of the flower head and leave the stalk in it, because if the stalk rots, it tends to rot the whole the whole plant. So it's very important to pull out the flower stalk as well. Um, and then that will, that will, will, will um, encourage it to come back again. And again, you'll have probably flowers um, uh, in, in late spring as well. Yeah, Mary really playing into what you spoke to us about originally, I suppose, Alton, uh, saying, what should I put in outside pots that would last throughout the winter months? Yeah, I think I think the, there's, there's lovely things. There's several other things, really. Uh, but really, the, uh, very simply stuff it would be, and if you want to go vibrancy and colours and stuff like that, uh, the pansies, violas, primulas, cyclamen, I think called solanum as well is quite nice. Or even things that have lovely berries on them, like the skimmias, the ornament, um, uh, the skimmias, um, uh, uh, toniaster, or even um, uh, solanum uh, casticastrum, which is quite nice. nice. That's the um, uh, Christmas cherry. Yeah, somebody else wondering, is it, is it too late to prune roses at this point? No, not at all. Uh, it's a good time of year to do it, actually, because um, a lot of the roses are going into the dormant state. So really, do all the hard pruning now and, and cut back, especially with the climbing roses. They're, they're quite vigorous and they tend to get all over the place. So really tidy them back and always cut back the climbing roses back to, to four buds to the main stem so that it forms a lovely array of flowers then right through the whole summer um, facing you um, and, and always always um, remove any dead or, or damaged uh, timber from the, the rose bushes as well. Again it's a good idea to feed them uh, with the dodge of the poultry muir fertiliser or even the top rose fertiliser just at the, at the basin, just a fistful at the basin. That would just encourage good great growth then in the springtime then as well. Good, uh, good time of year to mulch as well um, around your roses either farmyard manure Mm. Or even even um, uh, the bark and things that that just helps to keep it nice and clean. Yeah, it's remarkably mild, is it not? Um, it, it is. Yeah, is that promoting growth? Uh, uh, so, it, yeah. it is. Things are 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 thinking that it's spring and yeah. it shouldn't be coming coming up yet. I mean, even a lot of the spring bulbs are, are starting to, to show their little heads. Uh, even the the snowdrops are starting to to, to to sprout up a bit. So. But really, um, it's, it's quite early, um, and anything that you have that is tender, or that especially the, the camellias that will have the large flowering buds on them now at the moment, I would put a frost, frost piece over them just to protect them from any frost, frost damage, uh, and even your your uh, the, um, uh, the not the skimmies, but I mean the cares forest flames, um, uh, because the new growth in those they're starting to come on on now, which is too mild. So really cover them with a frost piece, just protect them from any any late frost that you get or a hard frost that you get in January, February. Alton, a pleasure as always, and thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Good morning to you. That's uh, Alton Nesbitt there, our horticulturalist uh, of Arabon uh, fame, of course. Um, 1800 Some more questions in, but sadly out of time, and we will stack them up and we will bring them to uh, Alton next time round. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 
Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, fuck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, fuck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thank you, Pat, and uh, welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today, 1800 007. That's our free phone number. You can text and WhatsApp, uh, 083-311-3311. You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, I was speaking to Councillor Siobhan Ambrose there about the N24 and uh, the fact that the preferred route will be um, presented uh, next month. One of our listeners on, uh, quite a few listeners on, in fact, uh, about the Adair situation. But anyway, this listener says, uh, Limerick Junction to Care section should come first because the N24 uh, traffic is ploughing through the centre of Tipperary Town. Traffic doesn't have to go through the centre of Carrick and Shore. Tipperary is the only town with 10,000 vehicles through the main street every single day. We've been waiting 24 years, yet Adair is getting one because of the Ryder Cup. Yeah, I'm sure they would argue it's not just because of the Ryder Cup. Um, but it certainly appears that it is pivotal in terms of the project being speeded up in some way. Now, in saying that, I was in Killarney yesterday and I was sitting on my ass in Adair for quite some time. So it is it is a serious bottleneck there. But I can understand why you'd be a bit, a bit annoyed indeed. Now, a five-year-old girl, <coughs> excuse me, and her mum, are among the people to be evicted over the Christmas period. The Taoiseach has been doled as he was urged to help those in insecure housing. The Sinn Féin leader, Mary Lou MacDonald, raised the cases of people who are living from paycheck to paycheck, I suppose, and who face eviction over the Christmas period. The latest figures from the Department of Housing indicate there are almost 4,000 children in emergency accommodation with 13,000 people homeless as of the end of November. Now, I'm delighted to speak to a great friend of the show, Tipperary Woman Alice Leahy of the Alice Leahy Trust. Alice, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. Lovely to talk to you today, Alice, and thank you so much for, for coming on with us. And thank you, friend, for giving me a chance to say hello to everyone in TIP and thank all our friends and supporters, families and friends. Thank you. Well, it's always lovely to hear your voice, Alice. Um, the levels of homelessness that we're hearing about, are they unprecedented as far as what you're seeing, Alice? Well, you see, friend, we've always worked with people who are really outsiders. We don't work with families. We don't work with children. Yes. We couldn't for... We're a tiny agency. And uh, the numbers are huge, as we can see. And and as I sit here, I remember over the years people saying, politicians and others saying, oh, we'll solve homelessness in two years. Mm. Well, look, they also were saying, oh, we should close down hostels. There's no need for them. And look at where we are now. Now, the numbers are huge and there is a huge housing problem. There's no doubt about that. And of course, this has to be linked with the local authorities not building houses and also offloading their responsibility to the NGO sector. But the people who were traditionally homeless and the people who are still homeless, uh, there's a difference between a lack of housing and a lack of a home. Now, we could argue that forever. Mm. But the reality is the people we concentrate are on are people who 
really are sleeping out all the time. And I look back at the week, this week, uh, last year, and we've had a number of the same people coming into us. Some of the people have died, some have got accommodation, some have, have gone back to wherever they came from. But the reality is we have forgotten completely about the people who are real loners and who live out under uh, intense under bushes, in parks all over the place. And we really are forgetting about those people. And these are the people we work with every day. 50 years ago, 1975, I I think you began your journey where helping people who are homeless. Did you think at that point, Alice, that it could be fixed? Of course, we we were very naive and we thought, well, homelessness could be solved. And of course, that was at the time, friend, where you had, it was, we had just got rid of the county homes and places like that. But I still believe there is a discussion that should be taking place and is not taking place. And... um, One of the things that has happened in the intervening years, the whole discussion now is about money and about bricks and mortar. There's no discussion about society. What what is it is wrong with us as people that we can't allow people even to be different, you know? Um, There's something missing. There's no philosophical debate. Now, people will laugh at me and say, I'm living in the clouds. But the reality, if I tell you now this morning, it feels like about five o'clock in the evening here. And we don't do anything dramatic for Christmas. Of course, we put up a Christmas candle and we have our decorations and we have our carols out in in the outside room. Mm. But for the people who were waiting for us this morning, there was a man outside our gate this morning who was discharged from hospital yesterday. He was still in his hospital gown uh, with a dress over that and he'd had what appeared to be like a stroke. So I have wonderful (laughs) colleagues here and they took him in, they changed all his clothes, they sorted him out. So then we had to find out how did he end up outside our gate this morning? Now we knew him over the years. He's a young man uh, he's not. He, he's from Eastern Europe. Uh, we know him quite well. Was drinking very heavily and ended up in hospital for about six weeks. So when we pursued it further, and hospitals have a terrible job, particularly at this time of the year when they deal with people who have problems of neglect and drinking and all the issues around that. But anyway, he accommodation was, after a long discussion, we found accommodation had been arranged for him in a a housing body, a well-known housing body where we hear them often on the radio talking Mm. about homelessness and lack of services. But he had come from that housing body down to us this morning that we could clean him up and sort him out. And we did. And he walked out of here and nobody wouldn't realise he was the same person who was outside in flip-flops, a hospital gown and dirty clothes over him. But anyway, he was smiling and he was gone off and he said he was going to stay with a friend over Christmas. Now, part of you could get very annoyed about that and say, you know, why should we have to do this when other bodies are there? And I would still say that, but I, I would never blame the hospital because they are under enormous pressure. And then we had a book I compiled, Wasting Time with People. And the more I think of those books that I did in the past, I think they should be reproduced. But one of them was about the importance of giving time. And in that, there was an article by a man. I probably told you this story before, Fran. And he said, 
this was 15 years ago, and he said, Dear Nurse Alice, about three years ago, through no fault of my own, I found myself in a homeless situation. I was addicted to neither drugs nor alcohol, yet I found myself wandering the streets of Dublin on a daily basis, sometimes not speaking to a soul. Anyway, to make a long story short, over time, he got his life sorted out, he got accommodation, and every Christmas he would write to us, and he would always include in it a tiny note. So yesterday, I said to Jeanette here, who's beside me. Do you know we never heard from him this year? I wonder if he's still alive. Well, lo and behold, the Christmas card arrived today with a lovely note from him. He had been quite ill now for a while and family members who he'd been in contact with, mm. again, some had died. So that's Christmas to us. But to get it, we're talking about homelessness, yeah. but that's also really what homelessness co- is about. Of course it is. But the kind of homelessness you're talking to me about, Alice, is that getting lost in the general conversation and the general stats we hear about homelessness? Oh, it is. It yeah. hasn't... It hasn't been discussed. Uh, the only people who discuss it are people like you and well-informed journalists who can dig behind the statistics. And it's almost considered to be old-fashioned uh, to raise this now. And But more and more younger people now are becoming more isolated. And... We don't talk about human emotions anymore. Do you know the only time we talk about the human emotions, Fran, and I listen to Tip FM in the evening to switch off after the day, in in the songs that are considered even old-fashioned now, you know, when people talk about the loneliness, the isolation. Another man who's out with us here this morning, and he's in rural Ireland, he's been coming to us for years, and... uh, he, the one thing, I mentioned this before several times, because the one thing he asked me to get him was Ireland's own. So I had the Ireland's own this morning for him, and yeah. I said to him, well, what do you think of Christmas? And he said, no, I couldn't, because they said to me at work here, you ask him yourself, Alice, what he thinks of Christmas, because they knew he wouldn't tell them. So he sat there, and he said, do you know, it's not like what it was years ago. The churches aren't there. There used to be a month before Christmas when you could talk about Christmas. Now, I would never, we don't discuss religion or anything. Mm, mm. And I said, well, shall we put up our Christmas candle on the table? And you have Marty there with the carols from Lyric FM. And we have the little crib there. Mm. And he said, yes, he said, but isn't it awful, he said, how things have changed. Now, I was amazed myself by by the discussion I had with him, you know, because sometimes he wouldn't speak to people at all. Mm, mm. Isn't it incredible? Can I ask you about something? Because I was looking at a piece that you did on on Zoom just earlier on this morning, and there was one thing you said, Alice, and it really, really made me straighten up. You said people on the margins should not be objects of research or promoting people's careers. Well, friend, yes, I was asked... um I was asked for my sins to do a a four-minute... Now, can you imagine me doing a (laughs) four-minute presentation? But I succeeded. You did indeed. But it was for uh, the... It was a north-south thing on health and social... On on health and people on the margins. You have no idea of... I would say at least once a week we get a letter from somebody doing research. And I got one not too long ago from somebody, and it was, Dear Gatekeeper... 
Wow. So can you imagine wow. that? Uh, I am doing some research, and I believe you work with people who are homeless. Could you put them in touch with me, and I can do a call with them? Uh, because I was doing some. So I wrote back, and I said, well, people who are homeless are tired of being researched. And they are. They're tired of being researched, I said, because they tell their whole life story, and then you go off and you write it up in comfort and you move on to better things. But I said, if you were using... The, I said, I object to being um, addressed as dear gatekeeper or any of my colleagues colleagues being addressed yeah. in that manner. But I said, if you're using that term in social studies in one of our universities, would you please bring it to the notice of your of your teachers or whatever you call them, professors? But it is shocking. And in that way, Fran, we haven't moved on that the poor are there to be researched. And I'm looking now at Christmas and all, you know, what's going on about food and everything. And I said to a well-known economist there recently, I w- we were going into the Brendan O'Connor programme, mm. mm. and I said to him, when you look at people now, I said, going to food centres and that, and I heard one young woman saying, well, her mother used to take her to a food centre, and I said to this man, I said, what have we done in the intervening years? It goes back to what you asked me about homelessness. What have we done to address the issues out there? to encourage people to try and help them uh, to manage, to budget, how to go about getting what they're entitled to. And we haven't addressed so many of the issues at all. It's interesting. I'm not sure if you got time to see the front of the Irish Times today, but they have a picture of a huge queue at the Capuchin uh, yes. Centre with just people looking looking for food. As, yes. And and it's it's incredible to to see it. And again, I was taken aback uh, by that. And um, would you tell me as well about the 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 makeup of the people who are coming to you? Because did, did you say there's between sixteen and twenty? Different countries yes, uh, represented between, in the people coming yes, to see you. We, we have. And they, now, even it was up to 25 or 28 different countries before the pandemic. But since the pandemic, you see, we one of the good things, if anything good came out of it, we were attracting a lot of people who, who were living in hostels. And hostels, they get money from the state to provide services. Yes. So during, after the pandemic, we said, look, we can only focus on those who are homeless. And that meant we were able to give more time to people who are homeless and we have seen great changes in people because as we always said in the book that I wrote, Wasting Time with People, Mm. giving time to people Mm. isn't uh, wasted you know, because you can see the changes in people but in the early days most of the people who came to us, at the very beginning, they came from the institutions, you know, they were in care they were in psychiatric hospitals, they were in different places, but now people who are becoming homeless that we have they come from all different countries but we have made sure there's no racism here we treat everyone the same and we encourage people who use our services to treat everyone with respect and dignity so the people who come from other countries they actually have the same issues as the people uh, who who are from this country. Uh, Some might have mental health issues, some have addiction problems. The feeling of being lost and having no one as our wonderful friend, the late Professor James McCormick, being an outsider is having no one to love you. And very often the reason you're not loved or valued by people is because you don't conform to their 
views on mm. how we should all live. So the people we are meeting, they're from different countries, uh, from all over the world. Uh, there are often language problems, but the body language is the same everywhere. But when I look out our little centre here, look out and you see people clutching a cup of coffee and they're looking at the candle and they listen to the music uh, or they're looking, we have, we have uh, fish in our fish tank and they're getting bigger by the day. Mm. <laughs> they really are improving in the light and the music and people looking at them. But it's that sadness and that loneliness. It doesn't matter where they come from. And I hope we don't put this in a clumsy fashion, Alice, but the kind of homelessness that you deal with and because of the nature of it, will it always be with us, really? Because these are people who, as you described, are on the margins. We'll always have people like that. And isn't that what life is about? Wouldn't life be awful if we were all the same? You know, we're living in a society, and that's where much of the research, too, uh, that the deeper philosophical questions about how people live their lives are not being addressed now at any level. You know, it's about statistics and bricks and mortar. And uh, I don't have any answers. <laughs> Fran, if yeah. I had answers, I yeah. wouldn't be sitting here. Um, but it's about the wonder, the, the, the mix-up of our world, you know, it, because it is, there is very clearly a big divide between the haves and the, the have-nots. And that divide is getting bigger. And... Um, I, I don't know. I don't. Uh, I think there will always be people who don't fit in. And in the past, the people who didn't fit in were locked away in institutions. And now we have people who very often feel there's no place for them. You know, play, no place in our world for them. And there must be. Look at the man who lived out his years in the Charles de Gaulle airport yeah. and then yeah. someone got him accommodation and uh, he was back there again uh, to die there. And this morning on my way into work, I, I stopped to chat with with, uh, with someone who is homeless, who I know has rural Ireland connections. And uh, that person was... Uh, in hospital, got accommodation, everyone sorted out that person. And I said to my colleagues here, I bet you anything, that person will be back on the street again. And there that person is. Now, I often think that sometimes when people are there, it is almost making that connection with other people. You know, complete strangers who maybe say hello to them or feel them part of something. But it's a terrible way to be, isn't it? Isn't it just? The other question that you posed today, and I'd love you to just um, maybe fatten it out a bit for me. Who cares for the carer, Alice? Why is that so important? Well, you know, and I know you have wonderful people on your programmes because every opportunity I get, if I'm at home with that, I listen to the programme. There are carers who, we know them all over Ireland, people who are working solidly to look after their parents, their relations, their neighbours, who struggle every day. And, you know, they get a pittance from the state to do the work that they should be enabled to do. And yet these are the people who tirelessly give up their time. Often very ordinary people uh, living very ordinary lives in rural Ireland, in towns and cities, and they're taken for granted. And I think we need... Now, OK, carers are acknowledged at times, but it is the ordinary people who who do extraordinary work 
uh, in terrible circumstances, making life better for others. And I think that's what's good about the Irish. We have a great capacity to look out for each other, to care for each other. But sometimes the caring can can just become so difficult and we can't forget those people. Can I finally ask you just on the bigger picture, and I'd, I'd love your opinion of what's going on at the moment. I mean, we've seen rioting in Dublin, for God's sake, at a level that we've never seen before. Um, We're seeing war in Ukraine, war in Gaza. People seem to be getting more and more polar, taking, you know, complete opposite sides on the spectrum and and, and the like, Alice. What are you making of where we are in 2023 going into 2024? Well, do you know, and I could sit with you for hours having a chat with you about this. I think that's the question that needs to be asked by everyone around. Would you believe it? That I went down to meet my brothers and sisters, uh, Martin and Donald, Mary and Eileen, in the horse and jockey for lunch that day of the riots. And I was coming back and I got an early train. And there was an unease around the city that day. But you see, I think we've thrown out the basics. I think uh, we need to get back to basics. There's an awful lot of, uh, I won't say what I feel like saying, nonsense going Mm. on out there. Mm. We have all kinds of strategies. We have all kinds of experts. Um, We we need to get back to, to working with even younger people to make them feel part of their society and that they have a responsibility to. You know, everybody thinks it's everybody's job to do everything for them, to clean up the city for them, to do this, that and the other. It's time we got back to helping people to understand we all have a responsibility. There is an awful lot of unhappiness out there. I mean, look at what's happening in Gaza and mm. looking what, and looking what's happening in our own streets. Mm. And I mean, I'm, we, the guards, we have, uh, and in fact, if I could say hello to two people, one is to a wonderful Margaret Rossiter in Clonmel, but the other is a woman I, I never met, who is the mother of Assistant Commissioner Mick McEgon from Thurlis. Mm. And the guards in Pier Street and Kevin Street, we see them out there every day. But I was looking at these young guards out there and they they must have been terrified. They must have been, yeah. There's no yeah. respect anymore, Fran. Um, or little respect. And yet at the same time, I see wonderful respect. I mean, I see people who get up off uh, to give me a seat on the bus and mm. people who will offer to carry a bag. I feel embarrassed sometimes. But... We have lost something, friend, and I think people like you, I, I, I love local radio, I think it's wonderful, but I think people like you need to keep, need to get some kind of conversation going because if we're depending solely on our politicians to have a decent discussion, we'll go nowhere. Alice, it's always a delight. I could sit here and listen to you all all day. Thank you so much for making time for me this morning, Alice, and a very happy Christmas to to you. And do look after yourself. Won't and you? thank you, Fran. And keep on singing. You bring a lot of <laughs> happiness to people too. Yourself and Trudy, we need that. And Carol Power in the evening. Keep and best wishes it in to Tip FM. Uh, you're very kind. Thanks, okay, Alice. Fran. Thank you. Look after yourself. Bye-bye, bye bye, Chinados. Bye bye. That's uh, the wonderful Alice Leahy there of the Alice Leahy Trust. Uh, speaking so much uh, sense, I'm sure you'll agree. 083 311 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie
Now, almost 200 countries came to an agreement this week on the need to get away from fossil fuel use in the future following marathon uh, negotiations at the UN's uh, Climate Change Summit in Dubai. Now, it's the first time in history of the 28 COP summits that fossil fuel reduction has been mentioned in the final agreement. But seemingly, it falls far short of the phasing out of oil, gas and coal that environmental groups, scientists and many countries uh, wanted. George joins me uh, right now. Good morning to you, George. Good morning. Good, morning, uh, good, good to talk to you today, George. Yeah. You have some ideas in terms of turf and how the yeah. use of turf could be phased out in some sort of a fair fashion, I suppose. Yeah, like if they, if you make something interesting and if you pay enough money for it, you're going to get the results there. Mm. But what Eamon Ryan was trying to do, just brush the likes of a tide and, you know, stop you from cutting turf, fine you for cutting You know what I mean? Mm. This, this this thing doesn't work in, in, anymore. You, you see what happened in, in Dublin there a few, a few weeks ago. But, you see, Eamon Ryan, as far as I can see, is born, is born a wood pellet. Mm. Now, I read somewhere on that, and they're imported from Germany or something. Now, they're kiln-dried wood pellets. Mm. Now, turf is actually made from wood, rotten, mm. decayed wood. Mm. But the difference between kiln-dried, when you kiln-dried, you have to use diesel or you use other types of uh, fuel to dry the, the kiln, to dry the timber, to dry the wood. So it has a carbon footprint, you're telling me, then? Egg, exactly. Yeah. So, you see... With the turf, it's dried naturally by sun and by wind, whenever we can get a bit of sun, mm. you know. But and it, it doesn't it doesn't use any. any but, but, but my understanding is it's the burning of the turf, and then what's emitted from that is the problem, isn't it? That's right. But you see, if you burn pellet wood, it's all wood. It's all originated from wood. Turf mm. is actually rotten wood. Mm. The, uh, the the stuff that I understand that. Eamon Ryan is burning is killing dried wood. You mm. understand? Right, but are are you saying that that's also adding to the emissions? Is that is of that course, it? yes, and and also he's bringing it in from Germany. I think yeah, so. Look at the pollution right. that it costs to bring it from Germany, and then collect it at the docks and deliver it to his own house, whatever it is. I don't know, but I read something that he's using that pellet right. for heating his home. Well, I I, so, I, I I don't know that. I haven't seen that. But you're you're also talking about if people were compensated properly in exactly. some way. Yeah. What, exactly. what do you mean by that, George? Now, how well, would that I'll work? Tell you, I'll tell you now. People was was, was uh, there were soft growing bees here when when Michael Kennedy caused the factory. Yeah. You know, he caused the bees factory down some years ago. I remember it well. And uh, people were making a lovely living out of growing bees every year. It was a, mm. you know, there was a lot of projects, cattle to feed, cattle to feed, different things. But anyway, all of a sudden, they, 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 they were told to stop growing bees. Right? Yeah. Now, I thought myself, I said, this is a joke. How are they going to stop anybody from depriving of, of making a living? Mm. But... <clears throat> What happened was they paid those people for for not growing bees. They paid them to stop growing bees. Mm. They paid them because they didn't grow bees. They made a deal with them. You don't, you'll get paid. You don't grow bees and we'll pay. We'll also pay if compensate you for your harvesters 
and your trailers and what uh, what uh, the expense, you know, that the stuff you were using to right. the globe eat. So, what, what so, do you do? You think something similar should be offered then to people who who cut turf? Of course, if you offer somebody, give him an like you're depriving him of his livelihood. You're throwing him out in the, you know, you're saying, mm. don't cut. It's an offence to cut turf. Mm. And people that's using that, making a living out of cutting turf all their life. And then all of a sudden, somebody like Emmerine comes along and Mary Robinson, we stop this. We don't need your cutting turf anymore. We'll fine you for cutting turf. Mm. We'll fine you for selling turf. So that is depriving these people of a livelihood. Right, but uh, how much of it is a livelihood? I mean, my understanding of it, and my father used to cut turf on on, on the bob, so uh, on the bog, so I know a little bit about it, George. Um, like most people, they'd have a, a, a patch of turf that they cut, but it's not their livelihood. But you know, well, it's, it, yeah, of course it's not, but it's part of the livelihood. Yeah. Like the person, the person that's harvesting the turf with the machinery and the equipment, it's his livelihood. Right. Do you understand? Yeah. He's, He's, he's making a living cutting turf for people, and they're making some money because they're, 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 they don't have to buy turf. You know, an expensive project, they can they get it right. fairly reasonable when they're, when they're cutting So it, you're saying if, if, if they're getting, or they have been for generations, maybe getting this turf for free, and now they have to buy whatever yes. it is that they decide to yes. burn or whatever, and exactly. you, you think that they should be compensated. I think of course. That, but would that not be very I, clumsy I, to administer that in some way, George? I, I, look, they're well able to administer stuff if, if, they, if they want to. Right. You know, the fellow was, was the equipment. Now, the, the equipment for, for cutting turf is in the region, mm. maybe 200,000. Mm. So, Have you done this yourself, George? Well, some of the family have done it. I've done it, yes, some, some of it. But well, you see, the equipment... When you stop, when you're forced to stop cutting turf, yeah, you, your equipment isn't good for nothing. You can leave it there; it can't be used for anything. Else. Right? Okay. You have big white wheels. Good point. I hadn't thought about you know. that. Yeah. 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 So, what what do you do? Leave it in the bog and let it rot there, or sell it as scrap. One time you could export this stuff, now, but now seemingly you can't. There's no demand for it. Mm. So why shouldn't? The only turf cutters and the people using turf be compensated mm. like the people that was compensated for growing. But, but George, not growing we, we keep we keep hearing about just transition. So is there no form of compensation for these people? Nothing. Nobody's ever offered anybody anything and just stop or you're going to be fined. If you sell turf, you're going to be fined. If you oh, you can give turf to your neighbour. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. that's some joke, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but you have to give it away to them, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah in, give it to them. It, it, it's interesting, and you're picking on Eamon Ryan. Oh, know, yes, by it, all means. I am a co- of right. course I'm picking. Eamon Ryan. Eamon Ryan wants to rule the world. He wants mm. to save the world, he does. And I'll tell you something. Well, 198 yes. countries are agreeing with them in terms of this uh, final agreement from COP28. So like, that's yeah. right, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So they're all going to, they're all going to, what are they going to all use for heating? Amarine the, thinks that you can heat, heat a house with, with these, these, these water, these pumps, you know? The, the air to water heat pumps. Yeah. yeah. And what happens when these pumps run out after a few years? Like, they cost a colossal amount of money. Mm. Is, is he going to pay for repairing them or is he going to replace them? Well, they still require uh, electricity to power the pumps and fans, I suppose. Uh, yeah, so it's, yeah, of course they do. But look, if mm. they if they wanted somebody, if I wanted somebody to stop to mm. stop doing something, if you pay them enough, they'll stop. And George, and between, make, it, between make me, it attractive. Between between me and you and the wall, are you still burning turf? 
Oh yeah, and I will for the rest of my life. Yes, oh my God, I will, and they can, they can, they can take me to my own joy if they like. But I still cut and burn turf. You be careful, or I'll send Damon Ryan round to you. Well, well, you can indeed. But I tell you, if they make it attractive, then yes, to stop cutting turf. Mm. Now Al Capone, if he wanted something done, he'd he'd say he'd make it he he'd make me an offer that you can't refuse, <laughs> and they could do they could work on that principle like they did. When they stop people growing beef, right? No, you, I'm you know. sorry for laughing, but it's just the, the, compar- right. the, compar- I, I, the comparison with Alcabone is brilliant. George, look after yourself and a happy Christmas to you. And thanks very much indeed. We'll take another break, and I'll be back with more in just in just a moment's time. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Harry says, good man, George, I'm with you all the way. I have a shed full of turf and I'm looking forward to the bog next year as well. Who knows, Eamon Ryan might even join us. You never know. I'd say he'd be a good man to foot turf, Mary. Um, the culling of deer will take place as recommended by a new report on managing wild deer populations. The Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McConnellogue, has said, now the move comes as populations have been growing exponentially with the report from the Irish Deer Management Strategy Group saying that this has led to issues in terms of biodiversity and farm management and indeed uh, issues of road safety as well, God knows. Uh, ecologist Porrick Fogarty joins me now. Porrick, good morning to you. Good morning. And uh, good to talk to you today. What are you making of these plans, Porrick? Um, I thought they were a little bit underwhelming, to be honest. Um, I noticed the government is going to set up a um, uh, deer management unit mm. and uh, there's going to be somebody managing those. But there's an awful lot of uh, investigate the feasibility of doing this, that and the other. And there are very few hard decisions uh, in the report that was published last week, which is a little bit disappointing. I mean, they did identify that the the, the main problem we have with uh, deer is the environmental impact it's the uh, it's the grazing and the fact that with the population of deer that we have at the moment it makes it very very difficult to establish uh, new forests which we urgently need to do for climate and biodiversity reasons so they did recognize that but they didn't really give us any sense of what they were going to do about it that's interesting what would you do about it well, I mean, we know from uh, studies done in Scotland that you need to get the deer densities down to about three and a half deer per square kilometre in order to allow for natural regeneration. If you have too many deer, all the tree seedlings get eaten and uh, and, and forests can't become establishment. Mm. So we, we need to be establishing what the deer densities are and we need to be getting them down to a level where you can have natural regeneration of trees. There's different breeds as well in this country, is my understanding, Porik. Have we to take that into account? We have different species of deer. Um, Only one of our deer species is believed to be native, and that's the red deer, which is really only found in the Killarney area. And the rest of them are non-native species, and uh, really they should be identified as alien invasive species. There's no difference between, let's say, Sika deer, which are brought in from Japan, uh, and the rhododendron that is destroying uh, many of our oak woodlands. And so they should be listed as invasive species, and they should be... uh, uh, managed as such. Uh, Eamon Ryan was much lampooned for the idea of the introduction or reintroduction indeed of the wolf into this country. 
is there a possibility that that would be a way of dealing with this in terms of the deer so population? Is, yeah, so this is one of the glaring uh, things that is absent from the report that was issued last week. There's absolutely no mention of uh, the absence of natural predators in Ireland, which uh, would be the most obvious thing to do over the medium to longer term to control deer. We know in Ireland we once upon a time had not only wolves but lynx, uh, which mm. prey on deer and bears. Mm. And I accept that there are problems associated with uh, the idea, but to just completely ignore it uh, makes no ecological sense whatsoever. So we really should be looking at um, how we're going to get predators back into our landscape so that in the longer term we could manage deer. Because basically, people are not up to it. I mean, we, we've seen over decades that um, the state just really isn't up to this task. And what we need to be doing is getting nature to do the heavy lifting and and uh, and managing our landscapes over the longer term. So was it just oversimplistic, that notion of, you know, to kill more of them and have more, or extend the season maybe and have more of them shot? Is that just very simplistic? Uh, I think it's just, it's not comprehensive. Um, uh, it doesn't give you any sense of confidence because remember, we've been here before. This problem was identified over a decade ago and then nothing happened. Um, so the report last week, just it, it's just, there's not enough detail in it to give you any confidence that really we're going to get a handle on this problem. We need to be much more uh, focused on what we're trying to do uh, and where we're trying to do it. So the report did identify where the hotspots are, including in uh, in. But unless we identify uh, what the densities are and how we're going to get those densities down, um, I just wouldn't have much confidence that this is going to do anything. I'm absolutely intrigued at the notion of the predators and the reintroduction of them. If that were to happen, I presume farmers might have an issue with that, though, would they? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, uh, but we have seen how predators have come back uh, across Europe. Uh, there's predators in, in practically every European country now. and uh, Reintroduced? No, well, they, they would have reintroduced themselves, kind of naturally okay. expanding yes. from Eastern Europe back into, into uh, Western Europe. Mm. So France, for instance, got its wolves back in the early 1990s, and, uh, and the population has been expanding. Mm. Now, it's not easy uh, for farmers, uh, but it, France in particular has shown that it is possible uh, for coexistence between farmers and wolves. And, and is that working out well in France? Is that, is that working out okay? I think it's working out. It might be an exaggeration to say it's working out well. Um, there's still a lot of opposition to it. But yeah. the fact of the matter is that France has bears and wolves and lynx. Uh, the population of both bears and wolves in France is increasing. Wow. And uh, and there is greater levels of tolerance and coexistence happening. And, of course, there is still opposition, but it is working out and it, and it is happening. And that's why we should be talking about it in Ireland. It's not the end of the world for farmers uh, where we to have uh, predators. And, in fact, I think it will be in many areas it will be a good thing uh, for there to be predators. You You have a healthier landscape and you have healthier forests and you have healthier ecosystems. Yeah, now, if I was a sheep farmer, I might be particularly worried about the notion, I suppose. Yes, and uh, there's no doubt about it. Wolves and yeah. lynx, uh, well, wolves in particular would eat uh, sheep. But remember, we have an enormous problem with uh, the millions of free-roaming sheep that we have on our hills because basically the, the the sheep have destroyed our hills. So before we even start talking about uh, wolves or lynx, we need to be removing uh, free-roaming sheep because 
drugs that they are grazing on are in an absolutely dire state and that's a big problem for our water and for our carbon emissions so um so we do have to deal with this idea of free roaming uh, uh, sheep. That's very interesting. That are... I, I haven't heard that discussion. I haven't heard much about that. Well, I mean, there's an awful lot you're not allowed to talk about uh, in farming circles. Um, environmental groups have been calling for sheep to be removed from upland areas. It's part of the problem why we don't have forests uh, on our hills, and it's part of the problem why our bogs are in such bad uh, condition. And uh, and we, we, we just literally can't address those two issues if we're going to have millions of free-roaming sheep wandering around, not to mention the fact that it's completely uneconomical uh, for the farmers themselves. So we have to be doing things differently. Yeah, isn't it very interesting that there's kind of single narrative around everything now and there's no platform for alternative thinking? I mean, I'm sure a lot of our listeners would disagree profoundly with what you're saying today, but still, you should be able to say it and make the point, you know? Oh, I, I totally agree. I think the um, the way that we've talked about uh, farming and agriculture in Ireland uh, in recent years has really just been designed to shut down debate um, it's it's completely undemocratic, and even how how these decisions are made about uh, about farming and the number of farm animals and where they go and everything. So I think we do have to have a much more rational debate. Um, we saw last year the EPA produced a report, you know, about how we're going to become carbon neutral in our land use. And that talked about reducing uh, the number of farm animals and it talked about making sure that all our bogs are in good condition. And that was totally shot down by politicians in certain areas. One politician described it as ethnic cleansing. So, I mean, this is ridiculous at this stage. We have to be able to talk rationally about uh, the kinds of things that we need to be doing over the next it's 20, 30 a, it's years. one of the issues though is that we haven't seen much of the so-called just transition and that you know I mean if it was made easy for people to transition to other types of farming or other ways of living and and the like and if that was made clear to them with a bit of vision and a bit of creativity it might it might be more effective yeah, I totally agree. I mean, in one regard, the, the money now is there. We saw this year there's going to be a lot of money going into nature restoration. Yeah. Um, but in terms of our food system, which, as we know, is, is complicated because it's not just about the farm animals, it's about the incomes, it's about what happens in different places. Um, that process has basically been uh, commandeered by the food industry, which, of course, has been making record profits in Ireland over the last number of years. Uh, and so the food plan that we have have it, it really just isn't uh, fit to do the job that that uh, that we, it should be doing in terms of addressing the the climate vulnerability of our food system the awful state of our environment and for many farmers the enormous inequality uh, that exists in farmers incomes um the Citizens Assembly on Biodiversity Loss highlighted this and said that we should be coming up with a new plan, but um, but I don't see any sign of that happening just yet. Uh, just briefly, if you would, but can I ask you about uh, your thoughts on COP28 and that uh, final agreement? What, what did you think about that? Well, I mean, um, I find the, the expectations that go into these COPs um, is always too high to mm. begin with. Um, they're not designed really to be coming up with the transformative uh, things that we need in our societies. So I think in many ways it's, it's always set up for disappointment. I think there was progress. Of course there's progress. An awful lot of hard work goes into it. And I think the energy transitioning uh, is happening. But, um, 
but I mean, you know, you're always going to be disappointed with these things. They never go far enough. I mean, for it to have taken nearly 30 years for them to have recognised that fossil fuels are the problem really shows you how, you know, this system isn't really fit for dealing with the uh, the crisis that we have on the ground. Most interesting to talk to you today, Porrick, and I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Good Thanks morning. so much. Good, good morning to you. And there's Porrick Fogarty there, who's an ecologist. Um, 1800 uh, News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to the final hour of uh, Tip Today. A lovely text in here. It says, good morning, friend. Really wish my aunt Eileen from the Heath in Rossgrave a very happy birthday. Wait for this. She will be 107 years old on Friday. Uh, she's still hale and hearty and uh, perfect in mind as well. Thank God. We all love her. And that comes in from Eileen and all the Shanahan family in Ross Grey. Well, Aunt Eileen, I hope they spoil you rotten uh, this Friday. And well done to you. And I'm delighted to know you're in such good health as well. The whole business of the culling of uh, a deer, uh, particularly my uh, chat there with uh, a porrick, um, a lot a lot coming in on that. Donald Gleeson was on to say, uh, seriously, Fran, getting rid of sheep from the mountains now? What next? Catherine was on to say, Fran, this is going too far. Wolves? Really? What an insane idea. Uh, you might think it's insane, but I mean, it's it's an interesting concept to discuss, is it not? That notion of the reintroduction of uh, predators. I find it fascinating anyway. Whether we do it or not, of course, is another thing. Barry was on to say, get rid of the compulsory training courses you have to do to shoot deer. Uh, you would have a better uptake. Uh, all living beings have a head and a heart. No training required uh, where to aim. Hmm. Okay, sounds a little gruesome to me. Brian was on to say, Fran, uh, this problem began years ago. Deer shooting was almost a pursuit of the privileged few and the upper classes. You had to jump through hoops uh, to get a licence for a suitable gun. And now deer hunting leases from Quilta uh, are hugely expensive. Also, the training associated with the carcass handling and equipment uh, make it cost prohibitive. I myself uh, paid €14,000, my God, for a yearly deer letting and uh, had to sublease it to others to cover the cost, make it cheaper, and then more deer will be culled, says Brian. So much more in on that as well. And it's something, needless to say, we will go back to. But right now, it's time to talk about healthy stuff with Muriel Cuddy, who's CEO of Marito 8020, the clinic in Clonmel. Good morning to you, uh, Muriel, and good to see you. Today. Morning, Fran. How are things with you? Great. Do can you... I go back to the deer piece there? Of course that you, you were can. talking about. Yes. It's funny because we're out in the country. We're nearly like we have a deer farm are you for serious? the last three or four years. Like we could count between fifteen and twenty deer in the back lawn uh, any wow. night when you when you drive up or even across. They run across. It's literally like the lads are like, if you could put lights on them, wouldn't it be whatever? But they are literally they come with this forestry behind our house, so they come down. We'd never have seen this years ago, but like they ruined the lawn. Like their their deer droppings are everywhere. They knock like even like the Christmas decorations and stuff. Don't they knock, they yeah. And like they set the dogs. The dogs go cracked. And like I remember years ago, lads were allowed shoot and they were allowed mm. whatever you know. Mm. And you didn't have the same issues or the same problems. And I come into town in the morning over the hill, and I have to stop probably about four times to leave deer off the road. One of them actually hit the have car you? this morning as I st- like I stop and turn off the lights and let him let him run and you know jump in over the ditch or whatever it is. But they are 
everywhere. So, um, yeah, it's, it's funny the conversation. Isn't that very interesting? Yeah. yeah. And, but much more so in recent oh years, Muriel. Oh, my God, Muriel. multiplied, yeah. like, massively. You might see one or two, and it was like, when the lads were young, it was fascinating to see a deer. But, like, it means nothing to them anymore to see deer because there's just there's so many there. They're out in the road. They're everywhere. And you're... you're Worried, you know, about him crossing the road yeah, and into him and things like that. Of yeah, course, so, yeah. yeah, we've been yeah, hearing about. Uh, in fact, this morning discussing it downstairs as well. I heard stories about deer again. Yeah, yeah. You know, people hitting them yeah. and one thing and another. Yeah. Anyway, to talk to us about human health yes. for for the moment. Um, we're approaching Christmas, and you, even you, allow us to overindulge a little bit. But are you saying to me that some people still want to be careful? Is that it? <laughs> Uh, yes. Who in the name of God wants to be careful around Christmas? Friends' right? face. Yeah. Okay. Disappointment. So I suppose the amount of people that have come through last year, and yeah. last year for us was a wonderful year. So it was first year, client after client, and you get it's nearly like you could do, you could do so much research on it. You could do all of that piece or whatever. But uh, a lot of people have come through again in the last couple of weeks, kind of bothered, I think, really, in relation to what's going to happen over the next, because two weeks or a week can undo so much work that you've done. And I suppose when people start feeling really well, the, the idea in their head of going back to where they were before they started is really upsetting them. Right. So I'm getting a lot of questions on like, worried about, like, how do I get through Christmas okay? What do I do? I'm going home or mother's cooking or all of, all of this kind of thing, you know, and yeah. That's what a do very I... good point. I never thought of this, that somebody who's worked very hard yeah. and, you know, they're on that journey of looking after themselves and then Christmas. And, and you're getting it both ways. Like, you're getting it, say, at home or if you go visiting. So, like, there's food everywhere and you're like, go on, go on, go on. It's the Irish <laughs> thing, isn't it? And you don't want to be, like, yes, rude and say, no, I don't. Yeah. And then at work, like, the tins of roses, like, I'm hearing that all the time. They've been handed around the whole time. Like, you do the Christmas lunches out. How do I say no? If you say no, you're kind of perceived as being like a pain in the backside you know. or, a, you yeah. know, like you're no fun and why not? And it's Christmas time and that kind of thing. And people are worried about that, that have done really well. And like I give them little tips, like say even in the office, I'd, I'd say all the time, like have your dark chocolate under the desk, have mm. your own bits, take the roses and don't let on you're not eating it. Like put your hand out and take whatever it is and stick it into your desk and eat your own bits or whatever, you know. There's tricks and There's tips. There's ways around it, there, yeah. there is and mindset bits. And I understand exactly because when somebody has intolerance issues, especially like the health related side is one side, but intolerance issues like of three days of eating like if you're not supposed to have dairy or you're not supposed to you will be dying you will literally have chronic diarrhea or the constipation piece will come back or you'll have a massive headache or like you you won't flow through Christmas so like a lot of us we can eat we like and yes we feel unwell and we're going to burst and whatever but some people become very right. unwell. Do you, do you mean Muriel that if you've discovered that for instance with dairy that you're dairy intolerant yeah. and that you're coping with that and yeah. you're off the dairy and then you reintroduce it it's even worse is it? Totally worse. Oh wow. Totally and like it's in like say for milk so if you're not having milk or you're not having whatever in your world it's in everything then when you come to Christmas time. If you're not doing the prep yourself, you can imagine like it's in cream sauces, like it's in just your Chocolate, natural. Yeah. It's in everything. It's in the desserts. It's in the mashed potatoes. Uh, there's butter put on things. You know, there's cheese. It's in every single thing. And that's just talking about dairy. Like there's loads of people like that. They're intolerant, like say to wheat or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's just like white processed flour or whatever. So that's the same. It's in like stuffing. It's in like just it's in sauces. Again, it's in so many different things. So what so, can you do? So I have a list here that I'm going to run through. So mm. if you're if you're baking or cooking yourself, there's just a few different things that you can do just to, to change it up a little bit. And I think you don't really notice if you even do it. So if you've done it the traditional way, yes. maybe the tr- traditional way isn't always the best way. And maybe there are some new bits and pieces that you can add in that you find that 
that'll work going forward, right? Yes. So straight away, anyway, olive oil or avocado oil instead of like your unhealthy saturated fats. So that's your first one. And you know, like butter, goose, lard, all of those things. Maybe leave them to one side and go with your olive oil, your avocado, and then you're knocking the dairy straight away. So that's like for your roast potatoes or your turkey or whatever you're using. The other thing is you can always use your air fryer for things like your roast potatoes and you can cook them to a certain extent, even with the extra virgin olive oil, and they are beautiful. Are they? And maybe even just give them the last piece with the turkey so that you're not actually roasting with the turkey, okay. that the, the, the actual saturated fat has gone through. Fran is going to look at me like I've ten heads all the way through this, right? So just, yeah. I'm just used to destroying, destroying Christmas and destroying, destroying everything all else. all yes. <laughs> But if he'd just listen, he'd be super healthy. This is coming so from the like... guy who had uh, four sausage rolls at half past two this morning. <laughs> Sorry, did I say that out loud? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. I was starving on the way home. What I'm just going to say, if you listened to me, you'd be so... Where were your nuts and all your nice bits that you're supposed to have inside in the car? The, uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Enough yes. Moving swiftly on. Yeah. So yeah. the other thing then is like we cook the fascia meats like the ham and beef and I love like ham at Christmas time. Like you can't mm. beat it but too, I will yeah. definitely go more for turkey than ham and I always do because I know turkey is really good for me. Like I know like even the antidepressant side like it's in turkey you know like it, the, the, the turkey makes you feel better you know. Mm. It's a white meat so it's really good for you. Like, I love it. I would have turkey breakfast, breakfast lunch and dinner and I just yeah. think for people that's one of the biggest things. Like say if you're even you know the pig's blankets and things mm, like that mm. if you could even swap them for like chicken skewers and even like skewer your chickens like with, with, with onion peppers pineapple whatever like even the sweeter fruits I bring all of them in at Christmas time because we can get the healthier side but we don't have to go too far in the wrong direction okay. if that makes sense yeah. salmon is another one like I think that's kind of overlooked at Christmas time that's fantastic like essential fat omega-3s if we could even get like 30% of the anti-inflammatory side into our diet over Christmas well then at least the, the, the other side of the uh, inflammatory like your sugars and processed yes. isn't going to be as bad and like your salmon and your turkeys and if you do use the extra virgin olive oil there's three straight away so then if you're doing stuffing if you can swap your white bread stuffing you know with your sausage or whatever for like a whole grain or multigrain and put in things things like I love like dried fruit and nuts and things like that and there's a crunch in it or even do both that you can pick but you mm. don't have to have all like the sausage meat one or whatever straight away it's healthy and if anyone has the intolerance issues at least there's a choice for him. Yes. Uh, the whole wheat gravy is another one. A gravy is essential, like it has to be part of whatever. But you can make it healthier again by using either a broad base or you can limit the salt and stuff and use things like thyme or sage or rosemary or stuff. You don't have to put salt into everything. You know, like just think outside the box of do, mm. we, do I actually need to use it or, you know, can I use something else instead? Instead of white flour, use wheat flour. And, and the other thing is, um, gravy is one of the things with salt for blood pressure and blood pressure goes up over Christmas anyway because of like a number of different reasons. Mm. So you have to look at the things like that. Yes, I know I say sit back and relax and everything and we do have to do that but if you don't have to have it, you don't really need to. Like say even with gravy, you don't have to like douse the plate or whatever. Charlotte will kill me if you use a word like that now. Mm. But you don't have to cover the plate in gravy, right? You can actually have it on the side or if it's in the centre of the table. Just use a little and use to taste. The biggest problem I think with us um, in Ireland is and it's all over the world, we, we've, we've got to use our palate so we don't taste things anymore. So we actually feel we need to use more and more things because the nerve endings in our tongue are, are literally not, they're so used to say the ultra processed, like right. the sugars and the colours and like you need more and more salt because of the processed foods and stuff. So you know like if you get something and there's a little salt on it and you have to put more salt on it, you shouldn't have to put any salt on anything. We should be able to taste it in its natural state. And we've lost the ability to savour Yeah, food, literally, literally. Wow. And it only takes us about three or four days of taking something like that out for the taste buds to actually come back and start 
um, you know, working out what something actually tastes like again without that salt or whatever. So for me, salt is just a no-no. It should just be gone and that's it, literally. It's, it's, it's like causes so many issues mash is another one so like yes everybody loves their mash Christmas time but instead of having like you know your poor quality butter and what I talk about there is so like you know your hygienated fat mm. the one that's mm. in the I talk about that all the time go for like a smaller amount of proper uh, full fat like Kerrygold butter, butter or whatever yeah the real thing the real thing yeah and maybe use a little bit of skim milk or something like that instead of using cream or you mm. can use your full fat milk instead of using cream but you can taste it you can make it to taste nearly the same who's going to know the difference mm. you know but still have 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 nice ingredients um, potatoes or sorry veg is the next thing for me so everybody's gone convenience or a lot of people are gone convenience so you go into M&S or go into any of the supermarkets you can buy your um, red wine cabbage and buy your cauliflower with your cream cheese and buy it and like you're you're pulling all these different ones and putting them into the basket or whatever if you just do something as simple as steam or roast your veg yourself mm. like they are 200 times more nutritious you know like you're actually getting the goodness out of the veg and like if you make your veg the centrepiece of the table so you actually do it properly steam some roast some use extra virgin olive oil maybe use some honey and nuts like you know to glaze on top and that and make them taste gorgeous you'll automatically go for the veg and go for your meat instead of going for like all the other trimmings that are there and another thing about this is I suppose and this is a big one dinner time at Christmas day is still dinner time it doesn't have to be like a banquet that you're dying after, you know? So, and I think it's one of the things really. If oh, it, yes, it does. does. Well, I know. But do you know if you have intolerance issues, Fran? Yes, I know. You feel like I you're know. really sick after yeah, it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so like if you can actually just say to yourself, right, I'm going to eat and take a break. Mm. Like, and just take a break. The food isn't going anywhere. And then eat yeah, and take a break. Yeah, you don't have to have all the courses together. No, you don't. <laughs> and, and like even you don't have to fill your plate up. Like it's not as if yeah. you, you need like five roast potatoes and all the different bits on your plate at the one time. Like, you can go back again, but if you do take the break, you actually realise you're full, you mm. know, and like you can have it again later on and whatever. But I just think even if you give your gut a chance and give your liver a chance, that it's not just all load in one way at the one time without right. uh, feeling like you're going to blow up. The same with sauces, like wholemeal, so whole, swap your white bread and your cream for like the other side of whatever. Cranberry um, sauce is another one. Like you can make your homemade cranberry sauce instead of buying the tinned one. And sweeteners like honey or maple syrup are much better. And that's your blood sh- sugar control side. And we have a lot of people that are pre-diabetic, you know, and a lot of people that even that have diabetes and that, you know. So this for me, yes, you want to eat all around you and do that piece. But this for me is the tipping over the edge side of like maybe you will be sitting outside A&E because you can't control something or you feel unwell or you've collapsed and all that kind of thing and your sugars are gone out of control and stuff. So we have to get a certain level of it right if mm. we can. Your Brussels sprouts, you mm. loved Brussels sprouts, I don't you? I love them, but you're going to hate me because I love them boiled too. Oh, down to nothing. Yeah. I don't really care because I just hate them. But oh, yeah. are you serious? You know there were this two two people. You either love them the, or you, you hate love them. them. Yeah. There was a name. Remember, I had it last year. I'll have it again next week in the quiz. What was it? Yeah, you're some sort of a file. You know, like all oh, right, if you like. Yeah, you're like dendrophile if you're okay. like yeah, yeah trees. Well, so there's, yeah. there's, well, there's, I I love them, but as I say, I'm sure all the nutrition is gone. Completely, you, completely. It, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, then they put pancetta and you put all these different things with it, and then like they're just, mm. you know. I I've decided this morning on my tombstone, okay. I'm going to put. I should have listened to Muriel. <laughs> Do you know if you live until you're 90, you don't need to? Do you not? You know, like that lady that lived until 107 or, yeah. or is there she, still having her birthday today at 107. Hearty, I'd love to hear Eileen. what her lifestyle is like. But if you live away, like some people can live away and whatever they're doing is absolutely grand, you know. So like, but you're yeah. so much of it is down to the genes, isn't yeah. it, really? Well, yeah. some of it is genetic, yeah. but we are actually finding lifestyle today is killing us. Right. Yeah.
yeah. so yeah some of it is genetic but I'm only going to give you on that one now like maybe 20% like oh, not right. even yeah we're not okay, even going to right. yeah. so it is how we're, how we're living well yeah. some of it so mm. you skim the fat off the gravy mm. like healthy stuffing balls things like that like your your alcohol side um, that's one of the big things as well isn't it um, don't be looking at me now when you start this <laughs> Red wine is good, actually. So I'm OK with red wine. So, yes. like, drink your red wine, not a problem in the world. Watch the white wine and stuff like that. And, you know, we can even go for lower calorie versions of wine that have less sugar. Yuck. The sulfates in white wine. I tried them. It's so hard to be healthy in here when I'm talking to no, Fran. I tried them, I'm doing my best, actually. They're but um, there's other things then, Fran, as well, mm. even like, you know, like grazing boards. Like I love grazing boards. I'm I'm what, a real tapas person that I like picking at food rather okay. than huge portions of food. And I love to put out like it. You know, like a board like that you've piled high. Like say with like cheese. You know your cheese board mm. or whatever. But you can put loads of things on it. Like you can put your berries, grapes, like your wholemeal crackers, like toast your nice wholemeal brown bread, um, your olives, dried fruit, figs, dates. Um, yeah, all of those kinds of things. Homemade hummus, cherry tomatoes. I love all of that kind of things. Your nuts, sprinkle seeds on top. Like you can just pick. But the healthy stuff is there with the other stuff. You're, you're still looking at me. <laughs> no, I do. No, I, I, I think it, everything you say is right. It's it, just it, it's totally. It. But like, you know, even in the morning for breakfast, like I love turkey for my breakfast and Chris all right over Christmas. But if you like fruit salad and a lot of people love to start turkey with for your fruit. breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Turkey for my breakfast. Yeah. I'd have turkey, eggs. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. Avocado, spinach. Yeah, right. huge big plate of it. I love it. I'm like, I'm full yeah. then until lunchtime. Well, I love turkey too. I, I can never understand people who say, oh, I'm sick of it after a day. Oh, I no. De- I'd eat it every I'd day. eat it all year round. Yeah. yeah, yeah. White meat for me is, yeah. A turkey for breakfast for me is. But fruit salad is one of the big ones that a lot of people like. And I've cut, like, so many people with high blood sugars or whatever and trying to get the whole piece right for the last year. I've said, like, no dried figs and no dates and no prunes and mm. things like this or whatever. Bring them all back in, like, at Christmas time. Bring in your dried fruit. Bring in your fresh fruit. Warm up the fruit, you know, in the morning. Yes. Put your Greek yogurt or something on it. Like, that's a beautiful breakfast in the morning. You know, put seeds, maybe some honey or whatever. You know, make the the really nice compaste. You know, the, the Things like that. They're really lovely at Christmas. I'm just think outside the box of what you can do, that you can mm. still be relatively healthy, if that makes sense. Mm. I wouldn't put sweets all over the whole place. I, I These know. are the boxes of sweets. Yeah, and stuff, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and there was a time when I used to do that. But, you know, I probably had more of them myself than what any of the lads did. But you didn't you scare the wits out of all of us last week when you told us, like, each sweet contains how many calories? About 65 calories. Each sweet? Yeah, yeah. It's only five chocolates for a really nice slice of fruitcake. Oh. Yeah. Right, okay. It's cool. Like, what is it, seven or eight chocolates for, like, a mince pie? Okay. You know, you'd be much better off to have the mince pie or the sliced fruitcake, wouldn't, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you just? I love, yeah. I love yeah. fruitcake. Yeah. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Um, all right, then. But so is that all you have to uh, uh, sort of well, depress see, us with? I actually today? have loads, but all I'm going to do is just deny you at this stage. So that's literally... But <laughs> no, you but know, you look, I know everything you're telling me is, is the You do, and, like, you know do, the yeah. sugar side. And I'm one, like, I will eat what I like over Christmas. Mm. I will do that for the for the three days over Christmas, but I'm just aware of people that feel really miserable and really unwell, um, and that for me is mm. the piece of it. Like that, you can swap out different things, you can make the wiser choices, and you know, sugar and processed foods or whatever. That's the dopamine piece of our world. So if we take away, if they, they create unnatural dopamine highs, right? Mm. So if we take the unnatural dopamine highs and we have them right through those days, that's what actually makes us get the lows. Then that's what makes us feel like knackered out, so fatigued, so unmotivated. So that's why after the three days, if you're just doing that piece, you feel like you're not able for anything or why the new year when it comes in on the 2nd of January, you're absolutely knackered. If you can include some quality food that you're counting, like 
look at things and try and limit the chemicals. Mm. Don't worry even about the calories. Like, there's nothing wrong even. I know I said the dairy, if you're intolerant to dairy. But, like, even to put cream on something, you know what's in it. Do you know what I mean? Yes, of course. Whereas if you're, yeah. like, getting something that's inside in a box and you're and it's a, it's a dessert of sorts and there's loads of chemicals and stuff, that's going to kill you a lot quicker or kill the gut microbiome a lot quicker, you know? So that's, that's that piece. That's very good. Well, while I was eating my four sausage rolls at half past two this morning... And I not did, thinking of you're in? I laughed out loud because I was on my own and I was thinking of what would she make of this? Now <laughs> She'd have killed you. She'd have killed you. <laughs> I won't she might e- have eaten one. No, I, she wouldn't. I won't even tell you what I washed it down with or you'd really kill me. Um, so to yeah, how did you know that? How did you know that? Yeah, I know, it's it's terrible, isn't it? You're killing yourself slowly. I, sure, I know. I shouldn't be allowed out. I yeah. really shouldn't indeed. Tell me about the plans for, for, for the new... Have you have you plans for the new yeah, year? Yeah, we Lolita? have. We're, we're around now, round. We are in business now 14 months. So it has been a total roller coaster. There have been days when I felt like crying and going down under the desk. And I really mean that. Like, that's not an exaggeration. Um, there have been days that you find it really, really hard. Like, there's 20 steps up to the first floor. Mm. That every single step you feel like your body is, like, weighed down in God knows what. You know, and will this ever go to where you want it to go to? Mm. And then there's been total highs. Whether it be clients that you see, like, huge success with or whether it be on the other side of... This is really working. We are really doing something good and we know where we're going. There have been all of those days and I'm sure they'll be all there again in the next 12 months and the following 12 months. But we have huge plans for 2024. Um, We've kind of got, what would you say, we've got the plans in place and we've got the go-ahead kind of this week, which Mm. is fantastic. So next year we really plan on taking it to the next level. 2025 will be a massive year again. But Marito is, yeah, Marito's going places, which is wonderful to hear. I'm delighted for you indeed. Just as a business, let's leave the health side out of it, but just as a business, did you come across a lot of red tape and bureaucracy Um, and stuff? Fran, to be self-employed, you need to be, and anyone that's listening that's self-employed is going to say the same thing, it's a different mindset and you need to be totally stonewall mad. But you get a high from it um, that other people don't even understand. Mm. And the other thing about being self-employed is there's a lot of downs and a lot of worry. But the level of learning, like the amount of things, I'm 50, the amount of things I have learned in the last 12 months that I didn't know this time last year is just mind-blown. The amount of things like I know in relation to finance, in relation to just so many different things about a business. And don't they say like that's it, that your dementia, your Alzheimer's, your mind, your all of that piece like, you've got to stay learning, you've got to keep your mind open. And you know, the buzz and the high, you think at 50, I met a man yesterday, and he's just gone out on his own as well, right? And he sat across from me, we, we had a meeting last night, whatever, and, and I said to him, how are you getting on? He said, Muriel, the buzz. Mm. He said, this morning, getting out of the car, going into work. He said, coming out this evening. Now, he said there was a roller coaster all day. And even when he was sitting across from me, he's 55, you, it was palpable, the excitement. Now, his year will go. Like, he'll lose money, he'll make money. So many different things will happen. Yeah. Um, and he'll have to deal with all of that and do the same as me. It's so hard to get out of bed and stuff. But I suppose the highs over, overcome the lows and that's why you do it, if that makes sense. It's very interesting indeed. If people want to talk to mm. you or the yes. team, uh, Muriel. So for the new year, guys, January's nearly gone. So if you are thinking of doing something, you really need to um, give us a shout or whatever. Um, 052614881 or com. And now I'm going to kill Fran.
<laughs> Thanks, Muriel. Thanks very much. You'll be back to us with a quiz, I think. Yes, Will you have, you have that for us yes, next week? Next week, week we look forward yeah. to yeah, that. We might have a little prize. Uh, oh, very good. Just for a little prize, yeah. Very good. Bottle yeah. of wine and a couple well, we'll of sausage see. rolls, It'll have to be you and Emma or you and Ali, so there'll have to be a winner at the end of it, won't there? There'll be no sausage rolls, seriously. Oh, Lord. It's yeah. uh, 11.28, back in just a tip. Very. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie <laughs> One of the listeners says, don't mind Muriel Fran, where did you get the sausage rolls at half past two this morning? It was on in the garage on the dock road in Limerick. It's open, uh, it's open all night. Not that I'm advocating that you go in and eat sausage rolls at half past two in the morning and wash it down with Red Bull, but there you go. Alan, Alan, Alan. My God. Alan is on say, good morning, Fran. I was offered eight legs of venison for 40 euro. Is that too dear? Well done you, Alan. Thank you for that. And uh, let me see, Tom Cruise sent me the most incredible photograph of uh, a deer literally caught in the headlights in Bishop's Wood in Dundrum. And of course, uh, many, many uh, deer around that area as well. In fact, I remember getting a brand new vehicle one time. And uh, I was driving from Ballock home and uh, the, the car was literally brand new and a deer ran right out in front of me and I just barely escaped just barely escaped I can tell you um, uh, Donald was on to say speaking of food matters friend you have to try the bush and briar in Borisalee fantastic latte and an apple and berry tart to die for delish says Donald thanks for that Donald I'll make my way there but don't 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 tell anything to herself. You know the way it is. 1800-938-007. Now, Eamon was north of the county for this week's Down Your Way programme for a very special Christmas edition. He even got to meet Santi because he was a very good boy this year. But here's just a taste of what you can expect from Down Your Way this Saturday morning. Christmas edition. We're here in Kildangan National School. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant opening to our programme. What a beautiful part of County Tipperary. We have Dan Breen here with us. We have the whole lot around here at Kildanga National School. Absolutely brilliant. Boys and girls are here in the droves. Terrific. A special moment here in Kildanga National School. We have someone coming through the door. Okay, have we a round of applause for Santi on this Christmas edition of the show? Oh my God, he has presents for everybody. Here he comes. How are you doing, Santi? How are you keeping? I came all the way to see you. It's brilliant to and be here. And Mrs. Claus sent 
A little present, give that to young the wire because oh. he's such a good boy all year. <laughs> Absolutely and he's been so good to come here and talk to all the boys and girls in Pocahontas. Yeah, have you present? Now, don't to open. Today? Oh, we'll talk to him later on. Now, you're not to open that until you go home. Okay, okay. okay. Are, are you being a good boy? It's a huge and, box. And Mrs. Claus says, Get Santi to ring the bell. Give Santi's bell a okay. good ring. It's been very good. A big applause for him. <laughs> Absolutely terrific. Well, so you're going to be busy in the next uh, week or so. Our flat house, I just called this way just to say hello to all the boys and girls in Pocahontas and how good they are. Every year, I come every year to see them because they're very good. And the great teachers and the great minders that are here, they're oh just God. brilliant. Isn't it brilliant? It, and it I, suits them because there's a field down the road that can park the sleigh because it's yeah. too big to come up to the school, so it suits very <coughs> Did well. Did you know that Kildang uh, and Club are delighted to see you because Dan Breen, they brought here... More than one, I heard they had great success this year. Yeah, a great club. I, I do be watching it on Sky, on, on North Pole Sky. I do. Okay. That'll be very good. We to get the, all the to, games. To the long way. When did you hear of Kildangan Oh, many, 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 many years ago. Many years ago. Actually, I'm around a long time, Eamon. Yeah, you don't know that yourself. I remember you when you were only that high. Did you come and left the carrot after you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's Rudolph. Oh, yeah, okay. Now, there's one thing I'm asking all the boys and girls, because Mrs. Claus said to me before I came out, Santi, that suit is getting too big, and she's... When all the boys and girls are leaving out milk, just to leave out low-fat milk for okay, Santi brilliant. this year, if they can at all. Absolutely brilliant. Santi Claus, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Oh, it's absolutely brilliant to be here. Dara Egan, the principal of the school. How are you doing, Dara? I'm great, Eamon. How are you? Thanks a million. To Falls Road. Absolutely. Terrific. Santa Claus coming and all the rest was very special and all, and all of that. But Dara Egan is hugely well-known, not only around Kildangan, but sure all over the country. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Sure. As I said, it's just a lovely time of year to be in schools. And uh, uh, I suppose I have the privilege of being principal here in my own, in my own village. And uh, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's great. And love this time of year. Uh, although the kids are all hyper and wired, it's, uh, it's a lovely time of year in schools. What a lot of preparation went into this show from you guys down here. Yeah, yeah, the kids have been brilliant. Now we have a we have our own carol service here in the church on the twentieth of um, December. So the kids are, you know, they're they're preparing well over the last mm -hmm. few weeks, mm -hmm. and uh, they've all been brilliant. And they're all in great form. They all have been in different places over the last few weekends. I suppose going to different mm -hmm. shows, and there's some brilliant things around Nina and and, and all their surrounding towns. So. As uh, so the kids are ready since the toy shows on um, two Friday nights ago, everybody gets into the Christmas spirit and uh, and you know the kids have been brilliant in their preparation so far. Yeah, been a special year for Kildangan. Yeah, it has. It has most definitely. Uh, I suppose our second time ever uh, winning Dan Breen, and it's a huge thing. And thankfully, uh, um, Mr. Flynn is our fifth and sixth class teacher here, and uh, he'll be taking Dan Breen home on Christmas Eve and and minding him over the few days and. Uh, it's you know it's great I suppose to have the captain of the team it, it adds a bit to the mm -hmm. to the excitement around county final day and we had two brilliant tussles with Hurlis Sarsfields and thankfully we came out on the right side of it. And uh, that's a little taste of uh, this week's uh, Down Your Way programme with uh, Eamon O'Dwyer. All right, then, it's time to talk farming and glad to be joined by Katrina Morrissey, who is Deputy Editor at the Farmer's Journal. Good morning to you, Katrina. Good morning, Fran. Uh, good to talk to you today. That dispute between the knackeries and the renderers, that's continuing on. What's what's happening there, Katrina? Yeah, so um, I suppose a worrying one for farmers because um, while this time of the year, winter months, is 
relatively busy. We're looking at the springtime being a huge issue for animal collections from farms because, um, you know, spring is the time of calving, it's the time of lambing, and it is inevitably, you know, there is mortality at birth and and shortly after in the in the life cycle. So that's that's very worrying for farmers in the in the short to medium term. What is happening, Fran, is that uh, animal collectors are the knackery operators. They dispose of um, animal carcasses. So they mm. do two things. Number one, they collect dead animals from farms because farmers are not yes. allowed to keep dead animals on the land. They are not allowed to bury them unless they have a special license. So they must dispose of them in a responsible way. That's where the animal collectors and knackery operators come in. They collect dead animals from farms every day of the week and, and seven days a week most of the time. They bring them to their premises. They do two things. Number one, they do BSE testing and they do scrapey testing um, of the animals. And that is as part of the Department of Agriculture Disease Surveillance Programme. So that's a very important job mm. that they do. And then they also dispose of the carcass. So what they do then is the, the carcass remains will move from the uh, knackery operators to rendering plants where they're rendered. Um, and that's a fallback to years ago. There would have been uh, some of the carcass might have been used in meat and bone meal. That's yes. obviously banned now. So every part of an animal, unless it is suitable for feeding to dogs, which some premises have a license for, otherwise it goes to the renderers. The renderers, of which there's only a limited number in the country, have increased their prices for rendering by a lot. In some cases, we're told, knackery operators have been told that their um, charges have been increased by 60%. Wow. Yeah. So the knackery operators have faced a 60% increase in disposing of the material. They're saying it makes their business completely unviable. They are saying they will have to pass it back to farmers unless the Department of Agriculture can come in and help in some way. Now, the Department of Agriculture already provides a subsidy to the animal collectors, um, so they cover some of the costs. Mm. So the cost of the collection service um, is covered by the combination of farmers' payments to the knackery operators and the Department of Agriculture subsidy. So that's where we are. The Department of Agriculture and uh, the Minister has said that he's not intervening because it is a dispute between the renterers and the knackery operators. He is saying that knackeries can deliver their fallen animals to Northern Ireland for rendering, which in my personal opinion is absolutely farcical when you're talking to an knackery operator in South Tipperary or yeah. deepest West Cork. Um, how much would it cost to put a lorry on the road to Northern Ireland? And then he's also told farmers to apply for burial licences in the event that they're told that a collector won't take the animal from their farm. Um, wow. That too is a little bit on the farcical side, in my opinion, because um, burial licences are extremely hard to get. Um, you know, it's it's not something that the Department of Agriculture gives out very and often. And Katrina, what is driving the huge increase where the renderers are concerned? What, what's driving that? So we have been unable to get information from the rendering plants. Um, from right. yeah. They are staying stum. They're not um, responding to any contacts from the Farmer's Journal and they don't really want to tell anybody what's uh, the reason behind it. I would guess it's you know strongly related to energy costs mm, because yes, rendering yeah. involves heat and therefore will have high energy costs. But they have not come out, um, despite numerous attempts to contact them. We haven't been able to get information directly from the renderers themselves. I oh got interesting. So that will continue on, I would imagine. We have a brand new uh, IFA president, uh, Katrina. 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, no longer someone from the Premier yeah, County. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tim Cullinan's term officially ends in January and this week uh, Leash farmer Francie Gorman was elected. Um, he took nearly 17,000 votes and his, uh, his rival Martin Stapleton, who's a Limerick man, in fact just over the border from Tipperary and Limerick, he got about 13,000 votes. Um, so Francie Gorman is a, a beef, sheep and tillage farmer um, he campaigned strongly, I suppose, on on and in fact, both men did campaign strongly on the fact that they were going to defend and represent farming um, on the national and European stage. Mm. And uh, it'll be very interesting to see how Francie goes about that. He will officially be in office in January, as I say. And very interestingly, his um, deputy president, president, for the first time ever, is going to be a woman. Well done. Um, Wexford, uh, she is uh, Alice Doyle, and mm-hmm. again, very capable, as all of the candidates were. Um, Alice put, uh, she gathered, what did she get? 16,500 votes compared to Galway's Pat Murphy, who was 13,000 votes. So, you know, there was. It was a very good competition, actually, for both um, both positions. And the IFA changed its election strategy this time to include yes. postal votes. Mm. And that was a huge success for them in terms of engagement with farmers. There was a lot more votes. I think it's about plus 20, 30%. And um, moved away from the only place you could vote being at your local branch AGM. You could still do that, but you also had the option of postal votes. So Francie Gorman and Alice Doyle, as I say, will take up office in January and um, it'll be interesting to see what way they take the organisation. It'll be very interesting in, indeed. I suppose it's no surprise, Katrina, that thousands are to miss out on Acres places. No, no surprise in the sense of we've been flagging this, that the budget wasn't increased, that there was you know, huge uptake of the original allocation. Um, the, the entire capacity from day one was said to be 50,000 farmers. And under the first tranche, 46,000 of those places were taken up. Um, so we believe that there are 10,000 farmers now have applied uh, up to, I think, the er- the start of this week for just 4,000 places. So it doesn't look like there's going Mm. to be any leeway to allow more farmers in. So that means you're looking at 6,000 disappointed farmers. But is the Minister saying that uh, in the future that uh, the scheme's capacity could could be expanded in some way? He said, and there's nuance in what he said, I think he would endorse expanding the scheme's capacity in the future. So um, right. that's that's not surprising. I mean, we're, we're hearing every day, I suppose, that farmers need to do more for the environment. This is a scheme where they can do more for the environment. It is an, agri- an agri-environment scheme. Farmers are putting up their hands in droves to go into it. And unfortunately, there are not enough places. So it's not surprising that Charlie McConlogue will be um, pushing for more um, budget for that. And you would hope that the government would be in favour of giving more funding to it, you know, in in the yeah. in the context of them looking for farmers to, to take more environmental action. Here they are putting their hands up. It would be very difficult for them not to apply more budget. But when that will be is the question. That'll be interesting. Uh, finally, can I ask you about that uh, farmers reeling over the VAT rules interpretation? Because I heard Matthew McGrath speak about this in the Doyle. I think it was yesterday, Katrina. Yeah, farmers very, very frustrated at this. So um, the farmers 
tend to do their maths on farm investments. So, for example, whether it's building work or whether it's slurry tanks or, you know, new new mm. um, slurry scrapers or whatever, they look at two things. They look at the, the total overall cost, what it'll cost, cost to buy or build the item from scratch. They look at what grant aid might be available, and there is good grant aid in the, in the TAMS grants. And the other thing they look at is how much of the VAT that they might be able to claim back, because both the TAMS grant and the VAT would be taken off the total outlay. Overnight, it seems, revenue has changed its position on what equipment farmers can reclaim VAT on. And whereas up to two weeks ago, farmers have been able to claim the VAT back on uh, bulk tanks, meal bins, automatic cask uh, feeders, slurry scrapers and things like that, revenue have now said that they have changed their interpretation of the rules and that they will no longer be um, allowing farmers to claim that VAT back. That's a direct cost to the farmer who has already bought the equipment. Um, And was there any indication that this was going to happen, Katrina? No, it seems to have been literally overnight from what we're hearing from farmers. Some people got approved for a VAT reclaim on on a Monday, and by the following Monday, they were being told no, they were being refused it. So, you know, a very, very difficult one for anybody. And, you know, these items are expensive. So if you've already factored it in and now suddenly the cost is, you know, 20% higher or whatever it might be, um, that's that's coming straight out of someone's pocket just before Christmas. You know, I, I would say it's a very unfair move. If there had been a lead-in, farmers might have had some control over whether they would make a decision not to buy the item or maybe they would have decided, yeah, okay, but I'll need to borrow more to do it. Um, so, yeah, I think this one is going to um, run for another while because it does seem to have been an extremely sudden decision to change an interpretation because the rule doesn't appear to have changed, but the interpretation of the rule appears to have changed. For sure. On revenues part. Could, could I finally ask you about something we've been discussing this morning, Katrina, just outside of uh, what's happening in the journal, the culling of deer. Um, that will take place as recommended in that uh, new report and a lot of information coming into us. I'm I'm not completely uh, across it. All I come across are deer heading across the road when I'm driving, which is very dangerous. But how will farmers feel about that, do you think? Um, I think farmers who are affected by deer will be welcoming it very much um, because we've spoken to farmers in the Farmers' Journal who have had their silage crops eaten who've had um, fencing destroyed and, you know, et cetera. They're quite destructive animals. Um, I suppose in the wider debate, it's very interesting that it's not just farmers have said the deer are a really big problem, that the the population size of the deer, sorry, it's not deer in themselves. Mm, It is the size of the population. The fact that the population is so big that they have moved from um, areas, for example, on the Knockmeal Downs that I'm looking out at, um, they have moved from the woods down onto the the farms at the foothills and further out. You know, we've had deer in barley here, um, out in the open. I had deer on the lawn here uh, last spring. Um, Places where you would never see deer. That's an indication that they are not getting enough food where they would have traditionally stayed undercover in trees, you know, in woodlands. Now they're coming out into the open to look for, for feed. It means that the population is growing. It means that the population is being forced out from where it would be. Um, but interestingly, that's not just a problem for farmers because, as you said, car um, drivers, yeah, you know, yeah. the, the wood road in Clonmel as an example, has always been an example. But now you have deer crossing roads and causing damage and potentially accidents, potentially serious accidents. 
weekly. I think we had Jackie Cahill um, hit a deer there a couple of months yeah. ago, didn't he? Yeah, and he did told us about damage. it on the programme, yeah. 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 And... Um, and also the environmental uh, lobby groups and environmental um, concerns mm. are saying that it is not good for the deer population to be this big either because they are causing damage to new tree plantations. Yeah. Um, they are, you know, there is no kind of natural predator for deer. So it is a population that has gone beyond where it should be. Um, so there's kind of a united feeling that something has to be done. Um, and it'll be very interesting, I think, to see what... And it is, as far as I know, being targeted at hotspot counties in Tipperary is one it's, of them. It's included, yes. Yeah, yeah West Waterford is yeah. another area, real hotspot for deer. Um, and it it is yeah. just a situation that it has to be managed. It has got to such a point that it's causing problems for a lot of different cohorts, a lot of different areas from biodiversity. The other thing as well is a bit like sheep, deer really affect the biodiversity of plants, you know, because they, they will they will mm. strip a place, they will strip bark from trees and they will strip different plants and things. So it's a problem the environmental um, groups will say for biodiversity as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I was speaking to an ecologist earlier on, Katrina, a guy called Porik Fogarty, but controversially, I mean, you mentioned no natural predators, but controversially he was speaking about the notion of reintroducing uh, predators. Um, but I'd imagine... Farmers might be happy with that either when you're talking about wolves possibly or lynx or something like that. You know, Wolves, lynx, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know too many farmers that would welcome it, but is it a little bit pie in the sky? Um, yeah. You know, to, to do that would mean that, and, and not only farmers, you know, would you be uh, cautious of the other implications on other animals? Mm. Um, you know, the, yeah. the likes of lamb, and you know, they're, they're obvious predators for that type of animal, but I don't know. Too many people that would would be hugely interested in living next door to a lynx or a wolf that had been released on the Knockmill Towns. We'll see. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll see we'll what happens when it comes to it. <laughs> Katrina, lovely to talk to you as always. Thanks very much indeed. Thank, Thank you. you Thank you. Bye bye. You now that's Katrina Morrissey there, and of course Katrina is deputy editor of the Farmers Journal, and the journal is on your shelves uh, right now. Uh, Fran, will you give a shout out? To a fantastic concert called Christmas in Carrig uh, with the Tune for Life. Orchestra and it's Carrig Church Choir on Saturday the 16th that's Saturday coming at half past seven and uh, that's Carrig Church Ballycommon and that's in from Donal uh, this morning as well and we wish you well where that is concerned. Um, another listener on to us to say on a recent uh, or indeed a recent few trips to different parts of Dublin's suburbs I observed at about 10am most houses had fires burning uh, two or more cars parked outside as well the residences um, they have gas at their doorsteps. They have buses close by as well. Should they not be punished for unnecessary emissions? Says one of our listeners. And uh, yeah, lots more coming into us as well. And what I'll do is I'll package it all together and bring it to you tomorrow. But I'm going to leave you with one uh, from Barry because we're talking about that notion of culling uh, deer. Um, and he says, I have a gun licence. Uh, now, it's not a deer licence and I won't shoot them with what I have, but lots of the poor deer uh, seem to have spears and arrows stuck in them due to certain groups of people who can't get a gun licence um, as there is a black market for venison. So there you go. Isn't that interesting as well? All right, I'm sure it's something we will come back to. That's it for me. Emma produced, Ali looks after her content. Stephen is on the way with the Time Tunnel, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye. 
Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 